What do you despise? By this you are truly known. From Manual of Muad'Dib by the Princess Girolam. To Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club, Derek. Oh, we do. That was, it's a good start to the day, Mike. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I picked up a line this week. Oh, what do you, you got? Know, I figured you've been doing it a couple times. I've, I've put too much on your shoulders. So wait, you picked out a white wine. I picked out a white wine. Uh, yes, the irony. I know. The irony. Um, oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, that's the name. That's the name of the wine. Uh... <laughs> This is Irony. It's a Chardonnay out of, uh, what is this, California? No, Monterey County, 2017. Uh, yeah. Any, any notes on the back? Any fun little uh, quips? Ooh, uh, it's inspired by the tale of two brothers who both unexpectedly and happily found their way back to the vineyards and wineries the family had cherished for three generations. Our Irony Chardonnay opens up with elegant and enticing aromas of apricot, peach, Citrus and hints of soft, toasty oak. Ooh. Yeah. The full rich mouthfeel is complemented by flavors of honeydew melon, tart green apple, and hints of oak. Really driving home the oak. <laughs> and yet it was uh, barreled in pine. So weird. Uh, <laughs> live life with irony. But, uh, oh, what do you think of it so far? Let's, let's have a little sip here. Oh, yeah. Mm. I, I've already gotten well into mine. I like it a lot. Mm. No, that's really good. Yeah. So like, it's, a, it's a full body or like, yeah, uh, full flavor. Yeah. Full body flavor. Full. I, I feel it, man. Right. And yeah. it, it like it stays in your mouth for a good amount of time. And it's sort of like just unraveling uh, sort of that front bite. And then just sweet. Each of those fruits kind of come up individually right. almost. I would I would almost describe it like uh, drinking a whiskey. But instead mm-hmm. of like that, uh, that sort of like vanilla oak uh, taste, it's more of a uh, like that citrus but it has the same like sharpness that has a long ride to it yeah yeah it's like and, like it lingers i was gonna say the, the, like the long ride is like the mellow of that whiskey yeah you know yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like you get past the harshness it's just like don't worry it's it's cool it's all here so if you want to make the switch from whiskey to wine this might be a winner irony is the way to go <laughs> irony i still love that did, no. did the name have anything to do with your choice usually we just judge uh the one by the label yeah, uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, looking at it, I was trying to find one to match the episode, and it's like, it's like, yeah, that's, that's good enough for the well, Baron. Well, I'm just saying, we have one of two brothers here. What do you mean? Who's that? <gasps> Beast or Bond. Oh, okay. Of oh, the people that show up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, Abelard was the Baron's brother. He had brothers growing up. That, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, we're not going to see Abelard at any point, though. You, you know what? I, <laughs> from all accounts, I, he must be dead. I don't think even the encyclopedia ever tells me that he's dead. Hmm. But just that he lives a long, happy life out in um, uh, Raban Lanky. <laughs> Do I have to deal with Vlad? Yeah, this is great. Yeah, 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 exactly. He like leaves, and then it's like that's all I ever hear. So presumably, that's no- all that matters. Nothing bad happened to him. Oh right? man, that's what I'm hoping. Derek, we got some fun news. <sighs> oh, what's that? We got some new Patreons. Some oh, what? Or patrons? Patreons Patron- <laughs> site. <laughs> we got a second Patreon. We set up. We have new patrons. We've got new patrons. Uh, okay, this we, is like we one have of three this. new patrons. Actually, I still I love the tiers you set up. So I want I want to hear the person and the tier. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. So uh, let's hear 
looking at it here. First, we got uh, our spice wine enthusiast, our second one. Oh, uh, I'm just gonna read this verbatim. Crunk craptastic one. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody already had crump crap plastic <laughs> that he had to enumerate. Yes, exactly. So I guess that's the funniest bit. Like, who was the original crump crump crap plastic? Well, glad to have the number one crump yes. crap plastic. Welcome, welcome to uh, the spice enthusiast or the wa- spice, spice wine, wine enthusiast. We're all spice enthusiasts here. And then, uh, ooh, coming in at our Sappho juice, Sappho. we have Shane Bennett. Shane Bennett, welcome, and, sir. And we have Sarah Katzis. Sarah Katzis, thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. And uh, oh, and actually, it was funny. I uh, Sarah messaged me on Instagram mm-hmm. with some uh, saying that she liked the podcast and that she had some tips on cooling wine in uh, a hurry when you forget to chill it. <laughs> oh, this is going to explain some things, Mike, because you came out and haphazardly showed me a new way to chill wine. I didn't. So I read it. I was at work and I read it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I'm going to try it. So she said to take a, uh, uh, like a dish towel, wet it. Okay. Yeah. So important dish towel. Dish towel. You wet it, you wrap it around the wine and you put it into the freezer for like 20, 30 minutes while you're like setting up or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. what we we do generally in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I sort of only half read that part and I was excited to try it. You most certainly only half read that part. (laughs) I I want to say this from my perspective. You came out with like a (laughs) bottle of wine loosely wrapped in just clingy wet paper towels and it kind of frozen and torn around it and you're like this is gonna work it's gonna be super cold and now i do gotta give you it, it was, was colder it was colder it was below room temp it did something moderately well but like that sounds like a much cleaner more organized attempt yeah. at it i think sarah knows best in that case so. i thought you were fucking crazy when you came out here and tried to tell me i how- kind of felt like later yeah, and you were you were like trying to fill in the science and justify this, <laughs> and like we were just really grasping at thermodynamics at best. Yeah, but so Sarah, thank you for a real tip. Yeah, we will so, use it in the future because we yes, will forget and we will why. reread our messages, messages, our PMs, just like we read our reread our <laughs> chapters. <laughs> you, you go to hell. I know, I know. But uh, crunk captastic one, Shane, Sarah, thank you so much, oh, and I, welcome to our little scene. Little toast to you guys. Mm. Mm. And again, I really love this irony. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I love this irony. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking about two brothers, let's get back into this chapter. You ready? Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, we are on, oh, chapter 26 at this point, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving right on through. I think that's, um, how many chapters does that put us into book two? Um, this is the fourth chapter. 23, yes, 24, you're right. You're right. It's, so a fourth, it's, it's a fourth one in. So we're already <laughs> making good headway. Uh, I, oh I did speak last time, and I told you there were 14 chapters. There's 16 in this section. Oh, okay. So That's this still a lot. A little bit. No, yeah, it's still plenty. Um, and we're moving right on through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started this chapter with a quote that was very short, and is pretty much, uh, strikes me as a very Bene Gesserit axiom. Okay. What do you despise by this you are truly known? And it's coming before a Harkonnen chapter. Of course. The Baron specifically. So I, I feel like it's very straightforward in how we're supposed to connect the dots on this one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what does Paul hate? He really hates the Baron right now. <laughs> um, but I also kind of, it did remind me of like, uh, there's this one, I, I guess I'm going to use the word axiom again in. Um, is, is that our new uh, juxtapose? Not quite. <laughs> I'm going to try to hold off on it, but I can't help but it, use it in this situation. So with uh, electoral campaigns, uh, Mm -hmm. one of their big concepts is that it's always um, more positive for you to say what you are for, not what you're against. Okay. It's a lot easier to be against something and is uh, very unspecific. You can build a broad coalition to be against something, but then it all falls apart when you guys try to say what you're for. 
and being telling talking about what you're for is something where you got to be way more precise and put a lot more thought into it. Mm. So I also think it's weird of like. So I like disagree entirely, I think, with the premise of the statement. Okay. To be like, by counting what you hate, this is what you are truly known. I, I just don't think that's true. No. No. How do you how do you feel? I think it plays into insecurities. Okay. And how so? I think when I read this chapter, I tried applying it to the Baron. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it, he seems to really, I mean, he prides himself on being like the smartest man in the room. Ooh, I guess I do. What's, that's a good take. Of a, did you apply it to each character in it? I tried to. Yeah, that's very cool. I did not do the same thing, mm. but I'm interested to hear. I didn't really know what food despised. I, I what he feared was kind of obvious. Like, yep. <laughs> don't, don't hurt me. But um, I could I can really like pinpoint anything that uh, the beast despised. OK, because like he, did, you, did you not think the Baron? No, no, the Baron is the only one I could apply it to. No, no, no I don't think not, he... The, the Raban again, hated I he the just, Baron. I, don't, I think he just feared him. Okay. I don't think he despised him. Sure. At least not from what I took away in this chapter. That That's fair. Um, And there was very little inner monologue from the Beast, except for like, oh, like, I've learned how not to do this anymore. Yeah, and like, where are the chairs? Yeah. That was about <laughs> the extent of what his, was going through Someone's his head. Someone's burned them all. <laughs> yeah. All those H's are missing. But, um... No, I, I think it really, because of that, I think you could only really apply it to the Baron and really put that under the microscope. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the Baron, I, I really felt that, one, his intellect. Two, he doesn't like being told he's wrong. Yeah, sort of like the Baron just doesn't like any opposition. No, he doesn't. Yeah, right? He always, he wants this clear path in mm-hmm. front of him, and he will push whatever he has to out of the way to make that path clear. And Yeah, it sounds like he will go ahead and even, uh, he won't admit he's wrong if his something does come up. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, how do you explain this? He'll just make something up and say that's the truth. Such as with, uh, I think in this chapter, he says, like, no, there wasn't Fremen that killed him. It had to be Atreides spies. You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah. He completely cast it off. Um, And then uh, there was an instance, too, where kind of like you're saying that he is, uh, or that um, I think it's that Nafud holds back on telling him how many casualties he was. Mm -hmm. There was. And in his head, he goes, oh, he's lying to me. But there's no, like, he's not reprimanding him. No. Even in his head, he's just like, that's exactly what I want. And I think that is so weird. And, like, the things he's sort of insulating himself from. I don't, I don't think it's an insulation at that point. We can get into it a little bit more when we get mm-hmm. to that part in the chapter. But I think it has more to do with just that's coloring how it was like, oh, he's reading the subtext. He's the smartest man in the room. Like, mm-hmm. this is why he treats everyone as inferior, because they are inferior to him. To his greatness. To his greatness. And it's like... I, I've noticed in this chapter, he uh, he repeats himself a little bit a couple times. I feel like he uh, doesn't really have that smart man in the room edge without uh, a certain blue eyed boy around. <laughs> a blue eyed boy. Oh, but uh, yeah, so I, I just applied this to Vlad and his insecurities about like that's no, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so then I guess just going back to this quote to tie it into its place where it is, is Emmanuel and Moadib. Uh, so it's also going to be Moadib telling us to Princess Irulan in some way. Right. Uh, so I'm wondering what I wonder what her inflection was when she recorded this, because uh, this is all post all this stuff happening. Right. So the manual of Muad'Dib isn't just from Muad'Dib. It's from like a collection of sources, probably like this is the history. Like, this is what you need to know about this guy. I don't think it's all hmm. just from Muad'Dib himself, because uh, I think that would be commentaries or something along those lines. Right. Well, there are a lot of things because um, her path is going to overlap in Muad'Dib right. very heavily. Isn't there uh, a conversations with Muad'Dib book? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think that's there's where commentaries on Modib, conversations with it. Right, uh, right. The man, I think Manual of is a strange title for a book, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Right. Yeah. 
So it, it leads a lot, of, a lot to question. Yeah, who's checking out the manual at the library? On your, like, yeah, whatever he ends <laughs> whatever up being. He is. I can't really even tell you, and I gotta, yeah, <laughs> gotta hold my tongue there. But, uh, oh. Ooh. Uh, with that, you, re- you ready to dive into this yeah, chapter? Yeah, please. We've Let's been go. at this too long. Let's yeah, go. Too much. We will see. We'll bring this up as we go through the book. Um, but you brought up that the Baron doesn't have his blue-eyed boy. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that we brought up, this is the first note I have in here, we need to keep in mind the Baron is hurting right now. He's, he's more than he just lost Piter. Piter. So let's keep that on the table of just like, <laughs> you know, he's probably still all in black. Uh, Piter didn't die that long ago. Mm-hmm. That was his best little buddy. Uh, at least, <laughs> we, we use that term very loosely. <laughs> in the Harkonnen household, you are trained to. Um, it's not part of their vernacular. Um, but that aside, this chapter starts off with uh, our. Our newly promoted Nafud. Uh, we even got a first name for him this time. Was it Iakin? Yeah, Iakin. Or uh, Iakin? Let's go with Iakin. <laughs> Iakin sounds better. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if any of them are better, per se, but yes. Hey, space name. Space name, Nafud. At least we know that one, because I say it in the, in the audio book mm-hmm. for us. Uh, so the guard captain's coming in, and he's telling the Baron that they're dead. They are certainly dead. They are certainly 100% dead. Mm-hmm. And we find the Baron, he's in the middle of one of these uh, ships he's got down. And it mentions, again, always tying into food. Uh, I loved it. It said that he was in the center of this thing like an egg. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the layers of security basically of the ship are like the shell of an egg cloaked over him. Uh, and you know the Baron is going to take his security as the first and foremost priority. So right. he probably is in the middle of a very armored ship, you know? Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like, it's the feeling I got. I imagine, like, that scene from Star Wars where, like, Vader's in, like, this weird bubble thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting from it's, this. But he's got, like, three of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, you gotta go through. So it, it describes it, uh, sort of this uh, decorated metal room. Yeah. Sort of disguised in the fact that it's just the interior of a ship. Yeah, I liked it. because it, And it's, he's surrounded by luxury. Mm-hmm. And that is disguising the harshness yeah. of it. So all that metal around. Um, and that must yeah, it must look so comfortable and cozy. So um, I, yeah. I also love this. So the Baron doesn't respond. So Nafud says they're dead, Baron. Both the woman and the boy are certainly dead. It is. Cer- it's a certainty. They are dead. Like yeah. he just keeps repeating himself. I, I mean, like part of it, this guy's still high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this exactly. Guy. No, he was just baked as can be <laughs> on some samuta, jamming out to his like EDM music, it's like a little bit of Balasset yeah. original. Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the black lights on in his room. <laughs> he's got like all his posters, and then he gets this call. He's like, oh, I gotta go like, in. Oh like, no! So he, he slams the antidote as fast as he can, and he just walked down here. That's so, like downing a cup of coffee. If <laughs> you like, gotta go. Splashes some cold water <laughs> yeah. on your face, and you're just like your pupils are dilated as shit. Like. <laughs> But he's got to go talk to the boss. <laughs> and he, he does. I mean, props to him for that. It yeah, doesn't, yeah. doesn't sound like he was late. Yeah. Uh, but when he gets there, this door, we find out there's a penta shield on yes. the door. So is it just like five layers of a shield? Like five uh, planes? Did, did you hit the glossary up for it? No, I didn't. Oh, I just my. guessed on this one. Literally a five layer shield generator. Oh! <laughs> Suitable for small areas such as doorways or passages. That's really cool. Yeah. And virtually impassable to anyone not wearing a dissembler tuned to the shield codes. A dissembler? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just going to be like a little like it'd be like having a radio ID card kind of thing. Oh. Like it, it shimmers to it or like cues to it and uh, you just like walk open, right yeah. through. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. It'll warp right around you. So you're good to go. Uh, it's also referred to as a um, a prudence door. So the, these shields are different in the fact that it won't just you just can't walk through it if these are on the penta shield. Right. 
So it's not a matter of like how slow you're going. You just can't. Enter. Yeah, yeah. You're not going right, so to be so different from the generic shield. Uh, we all know yeah, I think it. What is it? I think it rationalized it by like um, they each harmonize in a different way. So I think mm. that would stop you from pushing in. Otherwise, it's got to be the same Holtzman uh, planar field right. that's doing uh, whatever shielding that it does. Yeah, I'm curious. Because yeah, that's I'm, our only tech that we I'm have. curious about that. They don't really go into detail about it. Mm-mm. Hmm. Um, so uh, Prudence Door, though, is also referred to as a Prudor or a Pru Barrier. And we're going to see that uh, mentioned later in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, any pent- pentashield situated for an escape of selected persons under conditions of pursuit. Um. You know, was it even uh did we not call it a prudor, the one that Paul went through? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Then or it maybe like, maybe I missed it. I don't think so though. I don't think we did miss no. it, but I think it comes up later. But so that's kind of cool that that shield is there and uh it's sort of like a uh, shimmering in between them and you can see it. Mm-hmm. And eventually the Baron uh, takes it down when he I think when right. he lets uh Ravon so, in later. Baron sits up, looks at Nafood, Nafood's still talking. He can tell immediately looking into food's eyes like this guy is still. Yeah, he a, was just on Samuda. There's Samuda dullness in the food's eyes. Mm-hmm. It was obvious the man had been deep within the drugs rapture when he received this report. Uh, so I love that kind of thing. And the food's showing up. And like you said, he said three times they're yeah. dead. Oh, actually, yeah. And he even talks again before the Baron. Yeah, uh, he's got to get one more in, yeah. right? I have a uh, full report. And I love, yeah, and then the Baron's just like, let him sweat a little. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. again, he's, he's going to just be a power playing boss yeah. today of just like, I'm just going to sit back and let you like uh, kind of smolder in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it takes a while. And the Baron now finally is just like, all right, have you seen their bodies? Did you physically go out and check this? Uh, and at this point, where is the Baron's fear about our truth there? That's like out the yeah. window, right? Like, that was the whole point that before. That doesn't make any sense. We're just like, no piter, no problems, man. We can oh, do whatever we want now. No. Um, so in response to this, like, Nafood is just saying, no, no. I saw them dive into a sandstorm. Like, mm-hmm. we lost a guy going after them. No, not no- even I. They were seen. He wasn't there. Were, yeah, for sure. I'm embellishing that. Yeah. Uh, again, re- he's reporting. It's got to be like. Maybe the other pilot, but I bet he's reporting a report right. from someone who like saw them. 800 kilometers per hour, like, no one survives those storms. So that is how, then we also know that that was definitely a Coriolis yeah, storm. Yeah, because, like, that's the only ones, like, we did a whole deep dive on sort yeah, of, like, yeah, what to, those Yeah, yeah, to spin are. that yeah. fast, that's the only one that gets up to that speed. Uh, so then the, the Baron really shows us, I think, uh, his kind of management style here, and yeah. just tears into this guy of like for what purpose do you come here rattling your armor to tell me a thing that is certain when it is not do you think i'll praise you for such uh, for such stupidity give you another promotion <laughs> for, Ooh. No, it's just like, ah! <laughs> yeah his face goes bone pale <laughs> and then uh again going right to food look at the chicken the baron thought <laughs> it's always like <laughs> that one though i'll give him is a little appropriate yeah. but, but like right to food and we started with an egg uh with the ship, referring to the ship as an egg. Did we? Yeah, it's oh, like shield egg. Clothes, so. so the egg came first. It does. <laughs> Classic Crank. He's, he's a man of science. <laughs> and uh, we had the Baron again, kind of thinking to himself, "I'm surrounded by such useless clods," and that really goes into what you were thinking yeah. of him being the mo- the biggest guy in the room, the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know might very well be true with Piter gone now. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, Can here's be- the thing: I'm not saying that he's not intelligent and it is not like clever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like it, he definitely overcompensates. Yeah, yeah. He's he's very self conscious. Yeah, about and like something. Pyro, when Pyro was planning this stuff, 
is like, well done, Piter. You're assisting me in my plans. <laughs> <laughs> Taking fully credit for like whatever Piter cooks up. Yeah. Uh, so now the Baron, he like, he's pushing the food's buttons, I think, on all things. And mm. he asked if it was Idaho who led them there. So that's cool to me. Mm. That makes me think of like, do you think they had a tail on Idaho that whole time? And moreover, do you think that then they were monitoring Yui's conniving plans for themselves? Because Yui sent Idaho out. Maybe, or maybe they just, uh, maybe they had like word from like, oh, we know that like Thufir was in this location last. We know that Gurney Halleck was in this location last. And like with all the lieutenants, but where is Idaho? Where mm-hmm. is that guy? Mm-hmm. Maybe I think it's more along the lines of that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it very, very well could have been like spies like, on all of them yeah. at, all, at all points. Like uh, we know Arrakis had been full of spies right, from I think, the day we got here. I think you're still, from the Baron's perspective of things, I think mm-hmm. you're giving Idaho or uh Sorry, Yui, way too much credit. Uh, what do you mean? Because the Baron doesn't, he still doesn't. Uh, oh, I got you. the fact that like Yui was like sort of the big wrench in his entire plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think it's more along the lines of like their forces were keeping tabs on like who they saw, like on communications, keeping tabs of, uh, oh, we got them trapped here. Thufir and his force are around here, or last scene. I, I like that. Yeah. They're, they're just, they were just watching all the lieutenants. That, that makes more sense. Then. And we know that the Baron has a crazy information network, so their communication's right, right. got to be great. He's got great spies, yeah. uh, top of the line. And so Nafud is able, he is able to offer the Baron some new intel, though, and that's mm-hmm. concerning the Imperial Planetologist Kynes, because he was also captured, and he had joined Idaho under mysterious circumstances. I might even say <laughs> suspicious, suspicious circumstances. circumstances. <laughs> and the Baron's response... So, for <laughs> yeah, the food again. I think that is again like just pushing him. Like, dude, I know you're high. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, this entire conversation is along those lines. Make, make you dance. This is kind of enjoying for me. For well, me. he did wake him up in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. So that's got to be a no-no. Yeah. Uh, and so Nafud has to tell him like, yeah, they fled into the desert. They know the mom and the boy were with them at whatever this place they stopped right. at. But that the, uh, several of the groups were caught in a laser gun shield explosion. In the excitement of the chase. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Baron asked them, how many did we lose? And Nafu, uh, I, I'm not sure yet, my lord. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's lying. He yeah. can tell. And um, that's what I like, because the Baron in his head, he's like, it must have been pretty bad. This is, uh, this is cool, too, because I drew a parallel between the Baron and Lady Jessica. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this, I mean... Lady Jessica's had a similar epiphany, epif- blah, epiphany. It was like, oh, like doesn't don't they know that he's lying? Like, can't they tell? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like this yeah. is Baron, like he he's lying, and he doesn't vocalize it, but like that inner monologue. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and then uh, I guess noting that, uh, but like he couldn't read Piter. That was the one he couldn't read. Right. Well, who can read such a genius of him? Such a genius. But that's a good catch, then, that he gets him here so easily. Mm-hmm. And the Baron's so confident about it. Granted, I, I bet it's pretty easy to read this guy. He's, like, everything's on his sleeve right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially um, now. And like, I, I we've highlighted yeah. the certain circumstances of this evening for Nafud. And uh, certainly the circumstances between Vlad and Lady Jessica are different. Mm-hmm. Her being a Benny Gesserit and raised that way yep. and trained that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But, like, just the idea of, like, they have that same inner monologue, like, he's lying. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and again, I liked, uh, like I said in the beginning, uh, in this point, uh, he's not degrading him in any way. He's happy, I think, that he lied to him. Of just yeah. like, that's exactly how this operation works. Oh, you're learning! Yeah, don't. <laughs> Good boy! Yeah, don't tell me what I don't want to hear. <laughs> but it, it also, he, you know, he does know that this guy's on top of it, regardless. Mm. Uh, we'll see what report makes it to my desk. Mm. And uh, then the food, he makes a, 
a pretty ballsy claim here of like he's willing to stake his reputation on the fact that Kynes is a double agent. <laughs> his reputation. His, his sterling captain repu- of the guard for one day, buddy. <laughs> and you're high right now. <laughs> Like right now, <laughs> and so this even makes like the Baron laugh internally. He gets a good chuckle out of that. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, this guy. This is why I keep Naboo around. He's always pulling my leg. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's thinking. That's kind of what I'm thinking. He's thinking, uh, but he's just like, yeah. He, this is where he starts degrading him again. Oh just like, my God. you fool, you're so useless to me. <laughs> like. Oh man! I gave you this. Like, your repetition means literally nothing. Though. You I literally just... got this job because you were the first person I saw <laughs> in a hallway. That's true. Yeah. Um, your reputation. Well, so, he also. I mean, not just that. But like he knew he had a leash on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he gets one over on him as he likes to. And this is kind of crazy where he starts giving the food. I feel like a real life death mission when he's telling him like, "Oh, you're gonna have to kill kinds then." Mm-hmm. And the, I love how straightforward that's the, true. The, how straightforward the Baron is on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, kind of. I'll, I'll pull out why I think it is a death mission for sure. But like the only reason the Baron wants to kill Kynes is because Kynes might have helped his enemies. Right. And not I that love, he has information because he knows he has information. He was yeah. like part of the plan. But like mm-hmm. you, you wronged me. Like not gonna fly. You crossed me. Yeah. He's willing to kill an Imperial agent. And yeah. No, he wronged me personally. I can't have that. That is... I'm willing to put this whole thing kind of in question just to eliminate this. One part of me that likes him as a villain. Yeah. And... Yeah. Oh, as a, as a villain, top-notch. Because, again, like I said, he gives Nafu this death mission. Nafu... This is like, what? He has to go to the Sotokar. <laughs> Somehow pull this captive out of Sotokar-like <laughs> confinement under the pretense of bringing him to the Baron for questioning. The Baron, who just completely botched his previous <laughs> questioning and murdered a duke. <laughs> Like, why would they give him up to... And you're like, no, you gotta make a case for it. And it's like the Sadokar gonna kill you outright for this. <laughs> Which, and then kill the Imperial agent. <laughs> no, well, the no, little cherry on top. Who, the Sadokar? No, fucking Nafood. Oh, no, yeah, no, I'm saying Nafood is gonna die. I, if, like, <laughs> if Nafood went to do this mission, he would not succeed. There's no way he's pulling... I mean, I think he's still... He's told to do it regardless, though. Uh, no, by the end, we sw- everything gets switched around. Once through fears in the chamber, then the Baron changes his mind on a few things. So right now, he's telling the food that he wants him to go get Kynes. Mm-hmm. Bring Kynes back here. Right. And the Baron is going to be there when Kynes dies. Oh. By the end of the chapter, Thufir is his new, like, whoa, I want that toy. Just go kill Kynes. Right, 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 And right. Kynes' death is going to be the distraction to get us Thufir. Okay, I see now. To like really, because he's going to distract, do a kind of double over okay, on the. Uh, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that part of like the boat, the double accident, that was very vague and I was very confused by that. Yeah, yeah, because so he starts with this plan and it basically changes as he keeps right. listening to his, because he doesn't listen to them before he speaks. Right. He's going to like, and it's like, no, there's more information, mm-hmm. boss. But he's already like told him this, this is your mission. And like Nafood hasn't even gotten out the information he's come here to mm-hmm. tell him, really. Um, and so, like I said, uh, this is going to come down to like the Baron's principles of, uh, this man must die. He tried to help my enemies. So Nafud also tells him then at this point, like, oh, Baron, Sadokar have caught somebody else. They caught Thufir Hawat. And this literally shocks the Baron. Uh, and he's sort of just like, what? Uh, and, um, cause, uh, the, or it shocks him when Nafud mentions using Thufir as sport. Because he's like, we just get him and like run him through things. And he's like, like, what are you talking about? This is a mentat you speak of. One does not waste a mentat. I'm like, yes. 
That is right. We know how the Baron feels about Mentex. Yeah. He, uh, he loves it. Well, again, going into that insecurity, loves to be the smartest person in the room. I think he has a respect for intelligence mm-hmm. and logic. Yeah, yeah. And just like, uh, I don't know. I, I was going to, I don't know how to say this in concise words, but like anyone that can be of use to him directly. I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, absolutely. I, yeah. But uh, I, th- I, yeah, definitely the Mentats. And of course, they serve that function for every great house. Mm-hmm. But, um, and plus, you you told me that like uh, the Atreides could never afford another Mentat, right? Like, how valuable is Thufir Hawa in his own right? Yeah, I mean, like I told you, he is also sort of like uh, a bespoke Mentat at this point, yeah, because he has the years of experience that made him like right. just the best. Uh, is what we're told anyway. <laughs> years of knowledge and information too, and wisdom mm-hmm. along with that. Yep. And uh, probably, oh man, what better person would you want to bring in to evaluate your organization than someone who's been like plotting against it? That's a it's really like, good that's point. Like actually, known the outside. It's like when a co- like a like locksmiths hire uh, uh, people, know. like uh, yeah, like when a company hires someone to break in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just like yeah, the same sort of idea. I've like, spent you my would whole life looking for holes in your system. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me tell you what I found. Exactly. Um, and so the Baron makes sure he's like asking if you spoke. Does he know? Wait, does he know about the defeat? Like, stuff <laughs> right there. Like, what does he know? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no, he. Uh, Nafu tells him he's only spoken enough to reveal that his belief that the Lady Jessica was the betrayer. And I love this. The Baron is just in in the text. It's just like four H's. Like ah, uh, yeah. Oh, he's just that is like just morphine. Like, right he's just like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And, and you know uh, what? Hey, Piter's parting gift. I was gonna number say, one, one to Piter. Oh, Piter did so good. His blue eyes. He's blasted. never going away. Mm, I wonder when the. I wonder if we'll ever get to a point where we can't tie him into one degree to what's going on. That'll be the day he's gone. <laughs> no, no, no. There'll, there'll always be some sort of degree. I hope so. Hey. I will I will draw those parallels in those lines. So far, we're doing it all right. I like to think that I have inspired others to love Piter as much as I do. <laughs> as much as I love Omar, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, your Piter worship is great. <laughs> so this really gets planned spinning in the Baron's head. This potential to have to fear how yeah, that's... it is grasp, right? I mean, honestly, all things aside, like his uh, farewell with the Duke was not what he wanted. He was angry with <laughs> no, you. No, but like, was... if I can, like, Piter's gone. Like, can we just go back to just to save it for one moment? Yui fucked him up, and then he spoke too loud to the Duke, and he's like, I fucked up. And then he gets a whole meal, and then he's like, all right, let's try now. <laughs> Love how terrible that day went for him. <laughs> the Duke fucked it up, and. Just nothing went like it was planned. <laughs> like, but I can get through fear. That's we can get through fear. Is a silver lining. Yeah, and it really is. Yeah, and I, it's very opportunistic. Uh, it's him adapting the plan again because this was it's kind of like a wild card showing up. He never dreamed of being able to get Thufir Hawa, right? Uh, or to get him in a position where like Thufir believes this wrong fact. Right, it's so useful to the Baron. Um, so he's telling him like, okay, I want him to be treated perfectly, like whatever he needs. Uh, he's not to hear a word about the doctor, uh, which must be a funny memo to go around the Harkonnen place. Like, <laughs> no one talk about Yui anymore. Like, oh, okay. Like, we're getting weird instructions all the time. Um, so now we're kind of blacklisting that and he's yeah. going to build this little bubble around uh, Hala. So Hala will still think that, uh, Jessica was the betrayer. Now, this is so ridiculous. Yeah, and he tells him the way to control and direct a mentat food is through mm-hmm. his information. False information, false results. And so that is something that, like, when we first were discussing uh, mentats, that is kind of one of the texts that is always in my mind when we were talking about that. 
of uh, for them to make a wrong computation. That doesn't make them error. Like we were having that discussion. Right, before. right. It just means they were given like bad information, bad right. answer. It is a way you can use that and still have your mentat function mm-hmm. and function at its perfect level. And uh, like Thufir might eventually learn the truth and that wouldn't like break him, but it would just be like a realigning of all the facts right. kind of deal. Um, so the Baron, though, he wants to run this with intentionally bad inputs. Yeah. So have you thought about what the implications of that would be? Like, what do you think that what benefit would you get then? Because what, what, what are you going to run through through fear? Like, what do you mean? Like, what is he going to have him be a mentat on? Probably. I mean, one, he needs uh, money. But I think two, probably uh, as long. I mean, like, he's not doing ill will against the Atreides anymore. Atreides are gone. Mm-hmm. So it's just like probably setting up Fade Rautha for the Empire. Because mm-hmm. that's all his ultimate goal, I think, by the end of this. Definitely. So I think it'd be like, we need... This is the end goal. I need you to get us from A to, to B. B. Ooh, yeah. How do you think Thufir is going to take there being no Atreides? I mean, I think he's heartbroken. Yeah. He definitely sees himself as a failure. But well, I think he'll, ag- I mean, he'll agree to it as long as he can personally kill the Lady Jessica. Okay. You think that's the thing? I was going to point out because be remember, he saw himself as a tool of the Atreides. He is a weapon of the Atreides. Right. So a training dummy. when you pull that away, An the Atreides aspect, like, what is he now? I wonder what he even looks at himself <clears throat> as if there are no Atreides. I mean, he's a blade without a master. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, I don't think he personally hates the Baron. And the Bear, like, the Harkonnens and the Atreides have always been enemies. That's like, that's no news. He's not shocked or surprised by that. But the Lady Jessica being the instrument of that specific destruction without her being the traitor... Like, none of this would have happened. Yeah, you think everyone else was doing their part. Yeah, exactly. They Jessica, were just... Jessica did something egregious. Bird being a bird, dog being a dog. Yeah. But Lady Jessica being, like, Jack the Ripper or something like that. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. I'm actually appalled and offended by that. Yeah, well, and we know he has a certain prejudice in place, I mean, too. there's... Yeah, there is yeah. the prejudice there, but I For think... Uh, I think the Baron's right there. I think he can spin it. That's awesome. I think I, he can totally... I like that. Uh, and, I mean, we're well on our way to getting through fear in his grasp, that, so hurts me inside oh like what i just don't want him to do it (laughs) hey wait until that let's wait and we'll see how Thufir feels about it okay uh and get his information but i like that's why i wanted to get your impression now Mm -hmm. uh how we're feeling with while the baron's sort of like uh just all high on this idea yes and like does learn about like paul and jessica then what does he do right because like because the the atreides are still alive but jessica's still there too yeah oh so then like if he learned that they were both alive, don't you think he would just assume that, like, she is the traitor? No, no, no. Yeah. I have gone. I don't go with any of Thufir's assumptions. Oh, okay, okay. You're learning. You're learning. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's get back into this. All right. Thing. So the Baron tells Nafu that the Sadokar, uh, he, I love this point. He points out that they are, they're poor at uh, political deception. <laughs> oh, really? And that the Emperor wants it this way as a way for him to keep control of them. So I like it. Yeah, it's more than just mm. like uh, them being stupid. Like There's a purpose heads. to it. Yeah. He keeps them in the dark. He's Well, no, Daddy, the way they operate is always meant to be so obtuse and blunt mm. so that they're not conniving and they're not deceptive right, right, to right. the emperor. Like he doesn't have to ever be worried about being overthrown, hopefully, by the Sadokar. Because he's got to rule them with Wouldn't that be fist. funny? <laughs> it's happened. Has it? Yeah. Uh, we talked about it in one of our past things where... Uh, 
It was in the Monkey Bite story, I think, with the Harkonnens doing all their things. <laughs> the uh, there was a series where like the Sadokar went in and they threw that guy out and they brought the blind uh, Emperor Wallach out of the prison cell mm-hmm. and reinstalled him on the thing. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, Sadokar, they, they get rambunctious from time to time. All right. So that's, what, that's why you got to throw them a bone every so often. Yeah, keep them busy. Give them some shiny toys to go <laughs> play with. Um, so it's, it's a point that uh, I like that it's just that the Baron is able to kind of notice it and mm-hmm. make a tap on it. I'm just like, I think this is intentionally done. And how uh, advantageous is it for me to know this? So he instructs uh, Nafu. Why, why is he, he hmm. telling food all of this, too? Well, because now we give him the food an edge or the confidence to talk to the Sarkar. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Otherwise, like, it's just like, I'm going to tell you a secret in the food. Oh, I'll tell you another secret in the food. Yeah, yeah. I think you kind of fluff him up a little yeah. bit. But this is also, he's changing the plan right now. Yeah. So I think it's in context of him telling the food, like, okay, we're going to play these two off of each other. And the Sarkar are going to be too dumb to think that we are You just say the Emperor deceptive. wants it, and they'll be like, okay. Uh, no, no, because there's nothing here that we're dangling the emperor in front of him. i'm just thinking that that is used to say because yeah what are we giving to the emperor here? well no this is uh because he's telling the food right now to go get kinds and hawa so they can oh, be never mind. you're right you're right so now we're bringing them both back in this plan but the accidents are going to happen gotcha. what i think that's brought up for mike is that he's telling the food like we're going to do this deceptive trick and the saddle car aren't are, they won't even guess that we're tricking them because that's not in their mind. Okay, that makes way more sense. That clears it up a little bit. Uh, and it's sort of like a matter of projection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like just how the Baron probably assumes that everyone is trying to backstab everyone. Right. That's what he's always doing. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, oh, oh. What? What you despise. Uh, that's, how you, that's how you're known? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And uh, so Yeah, it's, it's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the Baron is, uh, he's, he's telling Nafu to, the case Nafu has to make to the Sadakar. The Baron is so great at getting information from stubborn captives, after all. Mm. Just go tell them that, Nafu. Go tell them that. Yeah. Um, and Nafu's like, well, there's, they're going to set a Sadakar observer back. That's right. just standard practice. Even I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh. <laughs> just come up with an emergency. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, just make a distraction. Pull a fire alarm. I don't know. And this is really clear, but they're really important. Kynes will have the real one. Hawat will have the fake one. Right. It's probably really got to hammer that home. And so food blinked. It's Hawat I want. And uh, swallowed. Ah, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know if I made this, uh, this point before. Did you ever watch Beast Wars back in the day? Oh, yeah. With Megatron? Oh, yeah. It was just like, yes. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, <laughs> you no. lost me there. Oh, I will get, there's like a montage on YouTube of him just going, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just... Whenever like uh, I read this, I just imagine it in Megatron's voice now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it'd be probably another really creepy one to look back on. What the villain in reboot? He also had oh, a yeah. really weird, like uh, I'm gonna say, sexual angle to him. Of <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> something going on, he really wants to talk about, but he can't because it's a kid show. <laughs> that show was awesome and weird, but <laughs> it feels so great. Good. Anywho, mm-hmm. enough of that throwback. So I like this. Uh, Nafud blinked, swallowed. He appeared about to ask something, but remained silent. <laughs> and uh, the Baron kind of continues on. He's telling him that uh, we're going to put the residual poison. It's going to be administered and the antidote provided to Thufir Hawat. So Developed by the late fighter to The late fighter, because you brought that up uh, as uh, one of our last glossary game words, wasn't it? Yeah, it was our final one. The final one. I didn't realize that it was such a big plot point when I came up with it. Right around the corner, gets its own little paragraph to describe it. Uh, but yeah, so this is made by Piter. 
Baron's the only one who has this, uh, to my knowledge, or at least something like this. That's really great. And he's telling them, like, we're just going to have to woo Hobbit. He's going to replace Piter. And uh, I have in my notes here, give Mike a moment. Replacing. But here's Replacing. the thing. Yeah. You know I, how I said that uh, Baron needed a leash for Nafood, and this mm. moot is that way? Piter's poison is a leash for Thufir. Yeah. So Piter lives on. His cunning and intellect has actually secured Thufir Hawit as, like, a tool now. Indeed. And a prisoner, almost. Definitely as a prisoner. I think a prisoner more so than a tool thus far. Yeah. We, just because you don't, we, we don't know how he's going to appeal, but we definitely got him when we definitely got him poisoned. Yeah. So uh, you can the, say what you want, but Piter, he's still kicking in my mind. Hell yeah. And the cool part about this poison, or rather, I guess about the antidote, is that the antidote can't be detected by a snooper. No, so you, uh, the poison can't be detected. No, no, by no a the snooper, poison right? can be. One, you only administer the poison once, though. But you're not putting Ooh. that into any food. So from there on out, the antidote is what they're giving him every day. Okay. But he'll never detect that the antidote's in there. And so Hawat doesn't even know he's being given an antidote. Gotcha. This is sort of like smuggling. Oh, you're right. The antidote will. Okay, you're right. And then we uh, find oh, out. It's so clever, though. Isn't it? It's, it's really, so clever. It's really devious. Uh, and then we find out the point I think I made uh, to you before. The Atreides, they never had good spies or enough good spies. Yeah. Right, and so the Baron. Again, this is sort of like the text telling us for the first time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I'd like to bring that up every time too, because like you give me a little bit more behind the scenes insight knowledge, because you've read the book several times. You sort of have connected the dots. Yep, and and it it helps explain things as we go. Otherwise, I'd be very confused. Sure, sure. Um, And then I'd like to be able to point out, be like, this is the one line that makes me think, like uh, the later or the emperor having prescience was that one thing from Irulan in the beginning. So I'd love to be able to show you, be like, this is the only reason I know that. You now know as much as I do. Right. Everything the, else is sort of derived. There's two points in this that actually uh, are the, like the first. This being mm-hmm. the one where like, uh, uh, oh shit, what were we even talking about? Uh, the spies. Oh, so that, uh, the, his information network is way better. Yes. And the Duke couldn't afford the most efficient spies to provide his men tact mm-hmm. with the required information. Let us never deceive ourselves, Nafud. The truth is a powerful weapon. So I think it's amazing to hear the Baron say that. Yeah. For again, that someone you saying was kind of relying on lies in a lot of ways. Like, well, no, I didn't say he was relying on lies. Uh, I just I said that uh, I said he was cunning and conniving. Everything is a tool. Everything is a weapon. Mm-hmm. So I think just relying on lies alone, definitely. I think most villains in like uh, most tropes would be like, oh, like I'm just you know I won't tell you the truth. But like Vladimir at least knows the difference between like what's valuable and what's not. And in mm-hmm. this case, this is this is also a finely sharpened blade and edge, and we can use that. Yeah, I guess that's a that's he's a, pragmatic. That's a great point, dude. That it always comes down to like almost a, a value. Yeah, how many Solaris is this? Like that'll always dictate what I'm gonna choose, uh, and if it's useful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's gonna hammer home just to Hawat that like everything we did, we did it with wealth. I love that he says we're gonna woo through for Hawat. I just imagine like a little bouquet of flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it, just making overtures yeah. each time. Yeah, uh, I wonder. Woo must have definitely kind of uh, become a more antiquated term, and like somewhere in the seventies, I think we killed woo off. It, it sounds very fifties to me. Of yeah. like, we're gonna go the sock hopping. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna woo her. I'm like, nah. It's just a word that has a different connotation nowadays. Yeah. I, I think it is funny though. It just yeah. it brings just. Yeah, completely different. It's a little grin to your face. It's like the sphincter. Uh, (laughs) Just great. So, uh, and then we get a great line of this is what we're going to use for that. Uh, The poison is the absence of a thing. This can be as deadly as the presence. The absence of air, eh? 
the absence of water, the absence of anything else we're addicted to. Mm, the food. <laughs> you, you understand me, the food. <laughs> Good. Oh, man. You didn't even need to do that, yeah. but, like, why not? <laughs> Fuck this guy. The food. Still has bloodshot, like, yep. <laughs> what a terrible boss. No, I love it. So this is, and that's how we send the food off too. That's pretty much it. This poor dude. Yeah, he's probably not like in taking any more samuda for the rest of the night. I don't know. I I would go take another hit right after. No. You're not going to go see the Baron again. And that was what if you had to though. That, well, this was already really stressful. Like I think you got to go do it. I think you got to go sit back down and just calm down. <laughs> And then we'll go deal with this goddamn Sodokar death mission I'm on. I'm like, why was I in that hallway? <laughs> no. So then we, we get a good look at um, the Baron. He sends Nafud off. He summons Raban. And in that little interlude, we jump into the Baron's head. And for how much he was on Nafud's case that whole time. He agreed with him, though. He, he goes, <laughs> I feel like he's super naive. Like, and we get he's this little he's correct, of course. Yeah, he's just like, ah, oh, stupid guard captain. And he's been right, though. Certainly <laughs> nothing survived the past of that sandstorm. Not an ornithopter or its occupants. The woman and the boy are dead. The bribes in the right places. The unthinkable expenditure to bring overwhelming military force down on the planet. All the sky rip, or all the sly reports tailored for the emperor's ears alone. All the careful sca- scheming here uh, were here, at last coming to full fruition. And it's just the Baron reveling in every aspect of that plan. Mm-hmm. And just like it all went so perfect, every piece in every spot. <laughs> I'm the greatest. He's like, just and he's just still sitting in his bed, like ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just reveling. Yeah, and it's but, like oh, he's so wrong on every point. I I know, and the, that's just the greatest part of it all. Mm-hmm. But like that's what I was talking about with the beginning quote and like his insecurities. Like the food is kind of correct here, but he wants him to feel inferior and feel like an idiot. Okay, yeah. So the Baron can be the smartest person. Can be, in the he room. wants the perception. I got yeah, yeah. I think that's a really astute uh, observation of that interaction between them. Mm-hmm. That it's just sort of very intentional on the Baron's part. To be One like, point for Mike. <laughs> ching. <laughs> Um, but I want to point to one line that I did just read here mm. about all the sly reports tailored for the emperor's ears alone. So this is our first, uh, suggestion that he is actually plotting something against the emperor or at least like feeding the emperor yeah. certain information, false information. And for sure, uh, a lot of it though is alluding to Yui in that. Oh, he's not going to, we're covering up that Yui, we're saying he was a fake doctor entirely. Yeah, that's what he's going to end up telling uh, Raban. Yeah, so uh, I told you in the beginning that um, eventually, like, uh, the way those reports end up at the Baron is, like, through Chome and the Landsrad. There's rumors that, you know, like, Yui wasn't, well, I mean, like, a real doctor. We are just talking about uh, pragmatism and value and things. Mm-hmm. If, like, I told you that people can't fly, that's just an impossibility, but, like, you go rocketing off in the sky, like, that information... Like, if an impossible thing is possible, mm-hmm. that information is worth more than, like, 100 Thufir Hawats. That's incredibly valuable. Right. And then, but how easy it is to, like, if you didn't have a picture or a video of that happening, and you only had your word going out, like how, and then like, I wanted to cover this up, and I made a bunch of Facebook posts about how, like, <laughs> no one can fly, it's impossible, <laughs> like... All those channels and then your one account, they're mm-hmm. going to believe everybody else over you. So he is being very uh, specific and particular in what he says and what information gets out there. Because mm-hmm. he even says, like, information is power. Yes. Truth is power. Or, yeah. does or he doesn't say it, but he, he alludes to it with men. Okay. Yeah. 
For sure. I think Mentats are a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's that's their only weapon, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they used to fight. Well, I guess... Uh, Doofy, Doofy. Doofy. He's Doofy. got a stunner. He, he did stab that one guy <laughs> yeah. when he came back cleaning that blade yeah. off. Um, so... <laughs> he sort of has his inner monologue, like, power and fear, fear and power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, like, and, his catchphrase. And then this is where we get, like, the insight of, like, what the Baron's ultimate plan was. Because the Atreides, that was just a stepping stone, apparently. I thought that that was his ultimate goal. He's got more in mind. He does. Like, he is an ambitious bastard. And one day a Harkonnen would be emperor. That is the path ahead of him. Not him. Mm-mm. No, uh, no one, no spawn of his loins. He says, I love that. I don't know why I love that sentence. It's, it's really uh, just old English. It really is that. spawn of his loins, but a Harkonnen nonetheless. And uh, I guess he's just a little bit smitten by Fade Rotha. He is very much. He yeah. loves Fade Rotha. Yeah. In a, sort of obsessed in a terrible way. Yeah. Uh, but I do love what that says about the Baron that he again, like that aspect of nobility that we talked about with him, where his goal isn't about him it has nothing to do with him. It's about the house. It's about the house. I think that's amazing. And uh, for how much of like a uh, hedonist and he's willing to indulge in everything mm-hmm. like that's not what he's aiming for. I think that's like such a matter of control uh pragmatism intelligence all these aspects to like he's saying i i know where i can get and that's where i'm going to go i'm not going to risk too much and like uh and fail in my endeavor and uh we've only met fade once but Mm -hmm. my first interpretation of him was sort of pitted as a a one-to-one ratio against paul with our Yep. Yeah, yeah, experience there because it was a very similar introduction. Chapter to both two, of them. yeah, yeah, meeting the enemies. Um, he didn't seem that sharp, and he didn't seem that ferocious. But that's what the Baron describes him as. He's got a sharpness to him and a ferocity. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure maybe we'll get there at some point. We we will. Okay. Uh, we'll see a little bit more of the personal ambition of Fade. Uh, we'll see him in a little uh, dual combat, which will be cool. Do, ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be neat when we get to it. Okay. Uh, so that'll happen right quick. But I do think uh, the one thing we'll take from here would just be like uh, the Baron's word on his intelligence of like know that uh, he is quick, despite that he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> he uh, is way more emotional than Paul is, and right. that I think is what really comes up in chapter two, and maybe is what colors that interpretation. Right. Where like remember, Paul is the weird one. Fade's the normal right, one. Right, if right. we were if just looking at the two of them in those scenarios, like Paul was having the off day and like Fade was acting right. normally for a 17 year old or 15 year old. No, uh, Fade's a little older. I think Fade is 16 because uh, we're going to go to Fade's 17th birthday. OK, well, it says in a year or two, say by the time 17, we'll know for sure if he's the right candidate to try and put into this position. Ooh, yeah. So it's not actually set in stone even. But look at this Baron's uh, that's the Baron's hope. Yeah. Yeah, he's still he's so, still open he's, to the so possibilities. He knows that it won't be any spawn that he sired. Mm-hmm. He's hoping it'll be fade, but is willing to play long game. Like if it's not fade, then we'll figure something else out. But it's gonna be a goddamn Harkonnen on the it's throne. It's gonna be a Harkonnen. So, you know yeah, he's I, got he's I, got I, some I, years to figure it out. But yeah. you know, first and foremost, we know it's not gonna be. It's not gonna be Ravon. <laughs> the Beast Ravon. Let's meet him. Let's this is go. our first chapter meeting him. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna come. That's up. exciting. He shows kind of. It's a little letdown, isn't it? No. You you liked it. I liked it. Okay. I took it more of like because he's so like uh, he's you... built up. No, he's built up as the Beast. And, he's built up uh, as the Beast, the unthinking muscle man, like the dummy. Well, even even that we don't we don't know. He's a dummy, the unthinking. But like he's that's we know what, that's what we the know Baron that he's he's squee. Who did the Baron in this chapter? Or yeah, before? he's just a muscle minded. 
like brute. Tank brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's an idiot. I just mean before though. I don't think we had any description like that. All we really knew about he was the one who squeezed Arrakis before, right? Yeah, and was like the harsh ruler for it. Uh, so that and I mean, he, you painted him he up. Gave, at, gave Gurney the ink fine. True, scar. you painted him up as like sort of just the uh, the cruel like kind of he's not really intelligent he's just a terrible like cruel person mm-hmm. that's how you built him up to me okay and that was my interpretation going forward for like the first 25 chapters of this book yeah but i that is not true at all in my opinion what do you think changes about well it? let's continue and find oh, out okay okay so he stands outside this uh door field uh the baron's drink chamber i just wanted to read you like the description we get of his actual body and uh, it gross, was low built, gross of face and body, which, man, that's really that's a harsh one. Gross of face and body. Well, I just mean uh, he's big. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think it is something kind of like what the 1984 movie really runs in. And they yeah. put they put boils all over the Baron. Oh, God. And like all the I think uh, the Beast Ravon has some, too. Of like they give him like a like interpret gross as like a skin disease. But I think you might be right in that it just might be like excessive. Uh, I think, I think uh, indulgent. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely, I think with uh, the term "gross," it definitely means large. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, he has the Harkonnen parental lines, narrow set eyes, and bulge of shoulders. There was yet some rigidity in his fat, but it was obvious to the eye that he'd come one day to the portable suspensors for carrying his excess weight. So I thought it was more along the lines of uh, the Baron just does a whole lot of uh, eating. And that's why he's so big and fat. But it, it, it is a genetic thing in some aspect, possibly. Um, Because it, it doesn't seem like the beast I, is... I don't uh, know. I, I don't think I would call it a genetic. You don't think so? Because, like, the Baron tells him in this chapter, like, you need to eat. You need to always be hungry. And, like, grebbles his fat <laughs> <laughs> while he's there. <laughs> so I think the... Like it would be Raban maybe trying to emulate uh, the Baron exactly and follow in his footsteps. So because okay, so keep in mind too, Raban has been passed over for a number of years now. Like his younger brother has been put in front of him. Imagine what that does to you, just being told like you're not good enough. Right, we're gonna use your little brother. Of like, I I think he sort of doubles down and trying to be like, but I'm like you. I I can do this too. Oh, you think so? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a little psychological aspect to his weight, uh, mm. to his eating disorder, added, if you will. You got a little bit more depth to this beast. Yeah. Oh, you want to know why, Mike? Because uh, I got a little more depth to dive into today. Uh, Are we the, really? A little bit. Just a little smidge. A little oh. smidge of the beast and a little bit more of the bear. A little appetizer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a little harken and platter, if you will. <laughs> I don't like that it's always food. <laughs> I was going to go with poo-poo platter, but I held back, Mike. I held back. And now we're there. Uh, so the Baron kind of continues with this uh, estimation of him. All right. And we, this is where we get a muscle-minded tank brain, the Baron thought. Muscle-minded tank brain. That's why I colored him like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I was giving the Baron's You're, perspective. It's a bear, yeah. Which may not be particularly true, but. No mentat, my nephew. Not a piter de vries. God, Mike, I think oh, we got it. Every time he's boy. mentioned from this point out, we're going to cheers one oh, for Um, Not a piter de vries, but something, but perhaps something more precisely devised for the task at hand. If I give him freedom to do it, he'll grind over everything in his path. Oh, how he'll be hated here on Arrakis. <laughs> and there's like, my dear Raban. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello, boy. <laughs> And uh, I, the Baron, again, I, this is all about power moves today. He's yeah. going to lower the door shield. But keeps his body, body shield, shield on. On full. Just so it can glow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why yeah. I feel like yeah. he, he's got to turn it up to max. He probably keeps it like a nice 80. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Buzzing eight. in his ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's getting a little... What was that? It's like the worst tinnitus you've ever had. <laughs> but it's worth it. He does it every time he's got to make a point and just grinds his teeth through it. Uh, and then he also is a dick because he's removed all the chairs. And I love that Raban <laughs> knows he's done this because Raban looks for a chair and it's like, that old man. I like, I. Raban is not an idiot. Like, he knows exactly what the Baron's doing. Yeah, yeah, okay. I like that. So, point one for the Beast. I'm going to make a case for this guy this whole chapter. Okay, I want to counter that point with lazy because the first thing you look for was a chair. And then he's bitter about it. But I'll take you point for point. Okay. He's a Harkonnen. He's a Harkonnen. <laughs> they love the chairs. They love their H's on chairs. <laughs> they do. They love that H's. <laughs> hand done every time. Uh, so then the Baron, he reactivates the field. And I love this last bit. Because uh, I think it kind of glosses by me every now and then. So focusing on the chapter so much like we do, I was really caught up by it. And that he turns on this like... Um, uh, or he activated the door field and blanketed it against all energy penetration. And this causes uh, all the voices fall flat and lifeless in the energy blanketed room. That's what it says. So it has an effect on the audio around. Oh God. So it's being like almost a, uh, well, Oh God. Remember when I, remember when I showed you the clip, uh, from the 1984 film with the shield fighting? Yeah. I imagine it sounds like that, that sort of like, no, that was okay. Yeah. That was like synthesized, but just like if it's flat and lifeless, how else do you think, uh, you're, you're the audio tech, I guess I will, I will bow to you if you have a a, a better uh, description to offer me for this. So for everyone listening at home, Derek showed me a clip from the, the David Lynch film. Mm-hmm. It was the. Uh, it's when uh, it like, uh, Gurney first... Halleck is teaching Paul the fight. So because you, sh- you wanted to Kyle show me what the shields were like, because we and, saw the trailer uh, and like I loved how the shields looked. I thought it was yeah. perfect. Exactly what I imagined in the new trailer. Yeah, yeah and you show me this scene from the David Lynch film. I was appalled. I love the old shields. It I... was the most grating sound I have ever heard. Well, that's how you, it sounds inside the shield. It's horrible. Don't turn them on. Become a fremen. Make a good movie. <laughs> I'm telling you it's the shield. People have to listen no, to this. I think David Lynch got the in actual shield. In a theater. <laughs> yeah, with their glossary. Their two-page <laughs> glossary they glossary were handed. They can't read. Yeah, the movie was absolutely silly. What, what are you uh, going for right now? Oh, I, just, I was trying to find up. the term. Um, oh, okay. I was, I was actually just looking at this the other day, which is why it was kind of funny. And it's just a term for like something from in the audio world? Or yeah. What are, what are we reaching uh, for? Anechoic. That was the word. Anechoic? Anechoic. All right. What does that mean? It's sort of dead in sound in a room because it's uh, it diffuses it so much. Okay. And sound diffusion is just like, uh, you see like the little nubs on our foam there? Yeah. So sound travels in a straight line. Imagine like a, like a pool table, billiards. Yeah. Like you hit it in direction. It'll keep bouncing at the angle. Sure. With that, same thing with sound waves going with uh, all the different angles on there. It disperses it and okay. deflects it to the point where you don't have sound coming in a straight line. You sort of get echoes. With the foam, it also absorbs a lot of it. So if you have enough foam and you have enough angles like that, you get sort of this anechoic effect, which just means it gets rid of echoes. Oh, okay. That's very cool. Yeah. So I imagine the energy dampening fields of this room are providing an anechoic effect. Okay. But it does say, it says his voice fell flat and lifeless in yeah. the energy blanketed room. So you think it's just without an echo? Yeah. You think that's how that would sound? Oh, yeah, Derek. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay, very cool. I was imagining... Well, we only perceive things in terms of, like, what our ears perceive, and we're not walking around with all this fancy acoustic treatment in every room we go to or outside. Like, we live in a world of echoes. If... wouldn't? Yeah, but can't we... When I listen to, like, a professionally produced piece of audio, is it not done in, like, an anechoic setting, then? 
Uh, no, not completely. I mean, the goal is to try and get rid of that because you only want what's coming out of your mouth going into the microphone. You don't yeah. want the sound of the room and everything bouncing off the walls and the glass and the ceiling and the floor. Right, right. But them. okay, I'm saying then when I listen to something like that, though, let's say close to that doesn't come across to me as lifeless in a way. And I guess that's the word I'm really latching on to in this oh, okay. description. I see what you're talking about. Is it? Yeah. Uh, but I, I get the point you're making here of like how that once you eliminate all that uh, white noise, let's call it, that you're here just hearing extra right. on top of stuff, how how maybe uh, different that is to your ear. Uh, I guess. Similar to like. Speaking from A to B, like me to you, that's one thing. And like hearing that. Yeah. But like, OK, and we'll, honestly, we're going to cut a lot of this. Sure. Oh, um, no, yeah. But uh, need to. if I'm if I'm talking to you and uh, yeah, maybe we'll keep it. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Fuck it. Irony. <laughs> but uh, if uh, if I'm putting this into a microphone and into my uh, Pro Tools. Yeah. Like we have a floor of sound. We're going to have those echoes captured by the microphone. Yeah. I need to boost the sound using whatever plugins I have, say a limiter uh, compressor. It's going to raise those sounds as well. Mm hmm. I don't want that low hum or buzz or white noise to get louder because right. you're going to hear that. Yeah, if you so, were to like just yeah, yeah. blanket increase So everything. you want it to be as sort of direct and dead and singular as possible. Oh, dead is not a good word to say. Sure. But like uh, you want to have it as pure of a sound. You don't want any reverberations. Okay. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, I'm, I think I'm on the same page with okay. you there. So audio 101, we're done. That was really cool. Moving on, doing time. I think you should keep it. I, just keep it? I, I appreciate every dime right, we do cool. after the thing. Mike, we talked about a rugby coach once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Hey, and hey. I've if, been waiting for another one to come around. If I'm wrong on anything, hit me up directly. I would love to learn more because I'm just trying to get better at this every day. That's cool. So I, I actually like that idea of you cleaning that up for me, of this just being all that noise removed. And it just sounding a little off to your ear because you're not used to it. In the same way that, like, have you ever, uh, when they show you your portrait and they reverse the image, so it's like how other people see your face? Oh, yeah. Like how off-putting that can be to you? Well, even no, though it's so not really because you're just looking in a mirror. Uh, right, but it's just something you, I mean, uh, you'll catch it in that it's generally something you don't see. Okay. That's the, that's the point of it. Because you oh, normally, okay. yeah, yeah. Like, listen uh, to no, the sound no, of your no, own the voice point, where you're the just like, is, oh, that's weird. No, when you look in a mirror, your image is reversed. Oh, I, yeah, you're the right. The point you're totally is right. that you're doing it so that it's the way other people you're see You're right. It. I, I just realized yeah. that. Uh, the episode, you almost got me. I was yeah. like, damn, <laughs> no, no, you're confidence, just, Mike. That, honestly, <laughs> as I said, I'm just like, that's not right. But I, I was going to let it go. <laughs> but I don't mind being right. <laughs> I'm the Baron today. Hell yes, sir. All right, all right. Let's get back on track entirely. Now that we both derailed <laughs> this. So, we, uh, the Baron, we have Raban. They're fight talking with each other. They're a Baron. He's pulling power moves left and right. All the chairs are gone. And the Baron now is going to tell Raban, oh, I got news for you. Because we just heard how he's balancing out these plans. Yeah. One, he's stoked he's got through fear now. Yeah. And uh, we're not quite ready for him to pull his power play here, putting Fade Ralpha in mm -hmm. charge. But he's like, I had the perfect tool for the job. Oh, Raban, you're here already. Um, oh. You're going to have this job. Arrakis is yours again. And uh, as they get into the plan, uh, Piter even kind of comes up, right? Yeah. So the Baron, um, I think, or uh, Raban starts us off with telling him, like, oh, you finally tired of him, eh? <laughs> and uh, uh, I will say oh, to you the same thing. I, I feel the same way the Baron Did you does feel, right You now. were just like, oh. I, I'm going to tell you this once, Raban. <laughs> your hands, like, shaking yeah. in your butt. You insulate or you insinuate that I obliterated Piter as one obliterates a trifle. He snapped his fat fingers. Just like that, eh? 
I'm not so stupid, nephew. I will take it unkindly if ever again you you suggest by word or action that I am so stupid. Again, just playing into that beginning quote. I think that's just that's a big insecurity for the parents. You've you've tapped on to a perfect thread. Mm -hmm. I think you are right and justified in that. Uh, And I I think that kind of actually went by me until I read it just now. Mm -hmm. You're right. It is like being seen as stupid or like. Even inferior, inferior to anyone. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Of just like letting anyone think they know something more or something that he doesn't in a way. Right. Uh, and this, we also get a cool. Um, this, I'm a little bit sad though. He doesn't even defend Piter. It's just like he's defending his own intelligence. For a blue <laughs> well, he's super sad. We have seen both families kind of view the. Mentats as tools. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I feel like he's kind of defending Piter. Of like Piter was useful. I don't think we ever saw Leto suggest that uh, Thufir was a tool. I think Thufir suggested he was a tool. Yeah. I think that was just Yeah, no, no, yeah, we never time. did. The, I don't, yeah, Leto would totally turn it. But I yeah. think I take uh, Thu as like, if the Mentat tells you he was you a Mentat is, school, yeah. No, no, I mean, like, we have from Thufir's own mouth. Him saying, like, True. I am a weapon of the Atreides. So, like, I just feel like that fundamentally is how he would have even told Leto, like, what he is to him. You know, when he raised them and, like, was teaching them all these well, things. Well, I mean, like, if you look at it logically. <laughs> this is the only way to approach this and uh he strikes fear into ribbon with this and i love the baron like he gives him a little little po- another baron principle comes up so the first principle to me mm. was uh if your enemies cross you you destroy them that's just yeah. fundamental the second one this is also oh sorry yeah continue. okay no no, no, no uh, let me just read this quote the second one is never obliterate a man unthinkingly the way an entire fife might do it through some due process of law Always do it for an overriding purpose and know your purpose. Honestly, this is actually just good advice. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. No, in a way, well, like, no, yeah, no. Don't I'm, do I'm anything sorry. without thinking. Hold like, up. No, Mike, it starts off with never obliterate a man. Like, I'm down. Yeah, uh, good <laughs> advice. Everyone never obliterate a man. Never obliterate a man. <laughs> I will even include women in that. Like, maybe we just don't obliterate people. but uh, <laughs> That's especially unthinkingly. But yeah, you're right. Um, but I thought this to me, I think he's talking about his ancestors. I think oh. he's talking about when one Harkonnen in particular oh. was kicked out of the goddamn Landsrad because of an upstart Atreides who <laughs> won one battle and decided he was king of the council, king of the council. <laughs> because, like, uh, the reference to some due process of law, mm-hmm. that, I think, refers to them bringing up that, like, articles that they uh, confronted them with after the oh. Battle of Corin. That is some stupid due process of law which is not relevant to what actually happened on the battlefield True. that his entire family was punished for up until, you know, up until the present and still. I love that. Uh, I love that connection there. I think Thank that's you. a really cool way to look at it. But yes, student encyclopedia was written several years after this. Oh, that's not from the encyclopedia. It's not. That's this is a Derek original right here. Oh, that's just me interpreting from that line. Oh, you think. Gotcha. Oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I see. You think the story. Yeah. The story is canonized by Frank. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, we, in for future books? Or? Well, just the specifics are that in Atreides had the Harkonnens banished after the Battle of Corin because of something they did during the battle. Okay. So the particulars I told you about them meeting, and I think there was a bloody guy on the floor while we signed the document. <laughs> yeah. That was, I'll give you an encyclopedia. But the whole outline of it is like from Frank Herbert. Okay. So that does totally connect. Okay. So and it I'm, checks I'm, out. I'm not reaching for straws here. No, okay. No, I like that a lot then. So, That's awesome. I mean, yeah. 
he I mean, I think the Baron definitely knows his history then. Yeah. Dude, the, oh, we're, like I said, we're going to touch on it. The Baron is a very educated man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one rough turn in his life, and I think he would have been a completely different man otherwise. Did we get to that rough turn? Have we talked about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. The night where he kills, uh, where his dad died. We, so I, I'll get to it when we get to the deep dive. I got a, I got a little thing I had to bring up. There was just like a myriad of expressions in their face just then. I'm so confused. I went through. All, you remember when Piter, you went through all the phases of uh, depression? I just hit them all, Mike, and I'm back to acceptance. I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay. But uh, no, I, I do think that it's just pragmatic advice. Don't do anything unless you know why you're doing it. Yes. Like, it's very human, actually, mm-hmm. in terms of the universe. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. More so than like yeah, all the schools and stuff. Yeah, not being reactionary to things, do things with a purpose, and only if you know what that purpose is. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually do really like that. Yeah, I think that's actually just good advice to follow. That is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, within all things, of like, wow, the Baron gave us some good advice. Yeah, take that one to heart, guys. <laughs> just know why. You, just stop and think. It's kind of all he's saying. Like, don't yeah. be, a, don't be a dumbass. Uh, look at the food. Um, so. Uh, Raban brings up that the Baron obliterated Yui, the traitor, yeah. and is asking, like, didn't you do that offhand? Doesn't that go against this whole kind of message? And the Baron explains, I'm like, look, Yui was a dangerous weapon. That's the kind of thing one does not just leave laying around. And I love that. Like, the fact that that's how the Baron views Yui. Because, again, that was the Saborn Souk Doctor. Yeah. Like, undone in the universe. Yeah, we're not leaving that guy alive. Getting rid of that right quick. It's like... It's like he you know, not even going about the like I uh, got rid of him willy nilly. It's like the fact that I bent him to my will. That's what you're taking away from this. Mm, yeah, like, I'm the one in charge. Yeah. And I kind of still underlines his purpose point of like, mm. this is why I did like I suborned him so I could use him for this. If anyone else ever found that out, here's the purpose you right. know, for He's why I tool. need to kill him. I'm getting rid of the evidence. Exactly. Just throwing it all away. And so then Raban asks him if the Emperor knows that he's suborned a suit doctor. And that, like, perks the Baron's Ooh, interest a little bit. I love bit. that. A penetrating question. Have I judged, misjudged this nephew? But he never follows that up, like, with any other monologue. I, I Okay. I guess I see where you're going with that, but I think it just shows enough that he thought it in general. That he's willing to, like, exercise that notion. I mean, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Of, like, not even, he, like, he's not writing Raban off. Like, Raban can still impress him, clearly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that was a good one. I think it was a fluke, but that was a good one. Yeah, uh, you know? I think that is his interpretation of it. But mm-hmm. this is, again, what I what makes me think that uh, Raban, you've just get, colored him this way based off Baron's perception. I think there's a little bit more depth to this guy. I, I, I think you're kind of right. I see... I, I think I would apologize for my characterization of Raban uh, to you, and that you are, yeah. There's a little bit, there's a little bit more to everybody, right, Mike? Yeah, that was one of the early early lessons. I think uh, was that Mapes who taught us that lesson. I don't remember. The, Probably double. The, I think it was our first side character. Where it's like there's a lot more to her yeah. than you expected of like a tertiary character. Uh, yeah, Raban's got something going for him here. Mm-hmm. And so the Baron, he sort of like doubles down, tells us uh, the false reports he's been distributing through. Uh, I like that he's using Chome channels to get to the Emperor. Yeah, that's sort of like his back channel he sets up. Because like, what is uh, the Emperor going to believe most? The thing that's like tied. What to his I tell him, book. or what Chome tells him? Right. Yeah. The thing that's like going to determine how many, so, how much spice is in my coffer, how many salaries are in my bank how account. Baron is, or uh, like that's a first name. So Baron Vlad, 
so precise and information and how it gets transported like information, Mm -hmm. whether it's true or false, whether it comes to you this way or that way, he knows that is just a myriad of uh, weapons you can use Mm -hmm. and just like using the right application in the right way. Yeah. At the right place. And he knows like this way makes it sharper. Mm -hmm. This is, this is the killing strike. This is the death blow. He, he is, uh, like I said, I got to give him credit. He is a very intelligent conniving man. Uh, can I, you just sort of touched on a thought that I've been having, uh, oh. going through this book. This yeah. is just like a side thing. Cause whenever I, I like type out my notes and stuff, I always find myself, uh, having to come face to face with this. We call it Duke Leto, the lady, Jessica. He is always just the Baron, the Baron, not Baron Vlad following the same nomenclature as Leto. Right, right, right. You know, he's always just the Baron and that's all he ever gets. Even the beast is count Glossu sometimes. That's his like full name. Are you talking about in terms of uh, dialogue between characters or in terms of like I, I think Dune, the Baron said or Duke Leto said? Like Dune in general, like the whole book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Wait, really? I kind of like a combination of uh, some characters will call him Vlad, but for the most part, it's always Baron. Mm. And it, then the text narration wise is always Baron. No. OK. No. Looking at. OK. I'm just I turned to a random page here. 107 of my book. Sure. Um, bitterness. I understand the Duke said so. In terms of uh, Frank's style of writing. Right, okay, no, 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 but uh, I'm not caught up. There's a little, okay. I'll give you, there's some interchange between the Duke okay. and uh, Duke Leto. But just that we never really, I, I don't feel like we use Vladimir nearly enough in comparison, is all. True, it's I guess, just, I, yeah, okay. It's yeah, one that like fair. gets on me where I'm almost like, why do we never say his name? No, no. Uh, it's a great name. Did he name. just choose Vladimir as like, this is an evil sounding name? Uh, no, well, in a, oh my Because like, it goes back to like Dracula kind of style. No, to go back to Sabres of Paradise. Oh, really? The enemies were the Russians. And I think <gasps> it was a guy named, it might have been a Vladimir. I might be wrong on that. I, I'm loose on the Russian people that were there. But the Russians were the adversaries. So I think that's why the Harkonnens have like a Russian edge to them. That's actually really clever. Yeah. Because it was like a, uh, a Russian army uh, fighting Ymir Shamal in the Caucasus. Okay. Okay. So that, that's, that's a good poll. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. That's why I think you got that. But I don't know if there's a direct name connection, but definitely Vladimir is a Russian name is Russian as Russian can be for what we know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like we are not cultured individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> as <laughs> much as we love to imagine we are. Yeah. Um, so in him asking that, the you know, uh, asking about the emperor, you know, the Baron goes through that kind of emotion and, uh, then the Baron, immediately regrets boasting to Raban about the doctor. Cause like yeah. you said, he made the point of, I did this. I suborned him. Know <laughs> this, but don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> well, like DL, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but come on. But um, this is uh this is another parallel I drew to Deliti Jessica. What's that? Uh, when she was having the confrontation with Dupir Hawa. Ah, yeah. Like, why did I say this? Why am I speaking from pride? Like, I, this is not how I'm going to shock him. That line was so good. Yeah, you have but not, like, you have not seen the fist inside the Bene Gesserit glove. <laughs> That's so good. It's super good. But I'm just saying another parallel here, because now that I know that they are of the same bloodline, mm-hmm. I'm trying to sort of see how they actually are similar in aspects, even though not being raised by uh, the Harkonnens in any facet. I'm just trying to sort of uh, see any similarities. Who? who? Oh, Lady Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, sorry. So I'm just trying to see any similar similarities that Lady Jessica has with uh, Vladimir Harkonnen. Ooh, you think, I, they're, think it's genetic? Maybe not genetic, but I think that Frank is like putting in some little like hints and little like fluffs here and there. Like you see how they are connected now? Yeah. Drawing those lines? Yeah, no, no. And for sure, he's like, remember, he would have a completely different concept of like eugenics and what's possible with that kind of True. stuff. 
So like that, I think that's a great, great catch. Both of them boasting and regretting mm. it of like, oh, that's a little familial kind mm. of tinge to you guys. So I, I just that's kept that cool. in the back of my mind while that's going the only, Yeah, that's the only other time that's happened in this book up till now. Mm. That's a great catch. Um, so Raban is, uh, like I said, he regrets boasting and then Raban is given instruction for the planet. We're not just here for strong control. Income is the bottom line this time. Income. Income. I don't care what you do. They need to make up some money. Yeah, we've lost a few. Uh, <laughs> we, we've, we've, we've pretty much emptied the bank accounts at this point. And, uh, oh God, the Baron, uh, it goes on. Uh, the Baron shot a fat arm toward Raban. <laughs> Just, if you squeeze Arrakis for every cent it can give us for 60 years, you, you'll you just barely repay us. It's like, I imagine he's pointing, but you can't tell from his baby fat hand. It just looks like his arm is at forward. <laughs> it's always baby fat with him. It's like the softest of fat. Uh, but that 60 years ups us from Thufir's estimate. Thufir estimated he thought 50. About 50. 60 now. Thufir just did a quick calculation while he was in the desert trying to survive with his last remaining but, life forces. Hey, I gotta hold it against him though. We've been told he's the best. The whole that, thing. That's true. Uh, he doesn't but, have any numbers in front of him. He's just guessing right there. Yeah, yeah. And he's for a rounding, that's not too bad. You don't think so? Okay, yeah, I'll give you. Hey, it might be pretty close. And I mean, he he never could have imagined that like the bear was fronting the Sadakar and shit. No. Uh like maybe that's the extra ten years is just uh, to pay for the Sadakar. Um But uh, yeah, no, so this is where we learn what the actual cost is and who paid for it. Yeah, it's the first time. The fu- yeah, the final time where I told I had to tell you before, but yeah, the Baron pays for the Sadokar along the way, and he sort of like damns the guild and gets this great thought of like, ah, will we ever be free of the guild? And I'm like, man, you and guys, hell, Mahayam could pop a beer. You think together. that's what they talked about at dinner that one night? That one night when she was truth saying for the Emperor, <laughs> the guild. Am I right? Fuck the guild. <laughs> but uh, no, I, th- it's, uh, I think this is also a nice little. Uh, Oh, like God. insight or insight, maybe insight or a nice little sprinkle of like, we keep talking about the guild, but how much do you and I really know about mm. the guild up until this point? In Why don't book? we keep that a little one sided? I know. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like the point is, I, I've been told like guild does space travel. Yeah. They have a monopoly on it. Mm-hmm. That monopoly actually brings in crazy amounts of money to mm-hmm. the guild and they have weird connections. I think the only thing I've sort of spoiled for you, the guild, is their connection with the Fremen, right? Yeah. Has everything else been from the book so far? Yes. Because I don't think I don't think we've touched on in the lore whatsoever. We know I know the navigators are mutated, but that okay, was told yeah, in you're, the book. You're right. Well, a little bit of like the establishment of the guild. Yeah, yeah. we did touch on. I saw a picture of a mutated guildsman, yeah. and that was fucked up. Oh yeah. On a side note, guys, Mike and I have purchased a nice box of the booster cards from the old 1997 card game and it has been a hell of a time to sort through those and that's where you saw you saw a lot of artwork from the movie. there were a lot of cool things we can go into that another time but yeah, like yeah. we know that the tradies have an army of milkmen an army of milkmen an army of milkmen because that's just what they look like um sad i i never saw a single fighter never, never single fighter but uh that, that's just i think that's only influences on the guild so far and i've liked how insulated they've been for you uh, yeah, I I feel like there's so much more about them that I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also this chapter is the first time you, that you, uh, or it really says that uh, for every agent that uh, they give you, well, for every, every agent you give them, yes, they put two into your organization. Yeah, I think you mentioned that to me offhandedly when we were playing the Doom board game because I played the guild. 
Because I'm like, I don't know anything about these guys. I'm going to be the guild. Uh, it was that or I think there might have been a time we were talking about uh, and spies and stuff. Maybe. Uh, it might have been in that Chome deep dive. But yeah, nonetheless, like the, the guild is so conniving. Yeah. They get two in for everyone. They have. You can't outmatch them. They've got a like, yeah, they've got a. Imagine. They've got they, skin in the game. I don't really understand what their ultimate end goal is yet. Now I am thinking about it. I would love a back room. Like, imagine the Mentats they have. Oh, if anybody's got the best spies, I mean, they have clear, the money for it's it. It's clearly the guild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They gotta have a crew. Well, they transport the spies. Like, so and tell they me what have, you know. and they have prescient navigators. Yeah, a Mentat navigator, fucking tops. Uh, oh, rival the Paul, but he's only flying spaceships. Uh, so, oh yeah, he, yeah. Not not really high minded goals. Uh, so we're going too far down the road. Oh, is this my, is this oh, more related God. to that? I want to walk away okay, from this. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, uh, so like I said, so this uh, refers to the accounting that uh, I think we did in chapters two and twenty four, being the first time we encountered it, and when Thufia was going over his estimates, and um, the guild, uh, their main way they're making their money off this is hazard rates to go into like a wartime area. Yeah, it's they're like, oh, like, you're doing battle? That's going to be double. It's going to be triple even. Who knows? We could get shot at. Yeah. <laughs> We're so fragile. Uh, so I love We're that. a civilian company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, the guild must be unbearable to work with. Oh, my God. This, this, now I just see why Gaius hates them so much. It's like, right? seriously. Especially because they transport Benny Jesuit everywhere with the missionary Pratik Diva. Everybody, 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 <laughs> Mike. It's every messenger you're sending somewhere. That's is, ridiculous. Yeah, they are. They are maniacal. And uh, so then we kind of snap back to our conversation with Raban mm-hmm. and uh, the Baron is again telling him to squeeze. And Raban's just sort of like, well, can I keep the cannons then? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like you can you can do whatever you want on this planet, like anything anything can i use the cannons no, no you cannot use the cannons. <laughs> smacks him down this volleyball spike oh shit do you think it was just a control thing then <laughs> yeah because my follow-up was gonna be so the baron uh, tells him like they were a special innovation and are now useless we need the metal i'm just like what the fuck you need do you the need metal? the metal I'm like how much did you spend like are you in the red and i got a full disclosure uh, I listened to uh, Gom Jabber and the Moa Dweebs. That's another oh, yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. that goes over. They brought up the point of, because uh, I listened to when they did this chapter of just like him needing the metal and uh, went on this great tangent of just like, is the Baron just pulling copper out of every house on like Arrakis? Like, <laughs> rip it out of the wall. <laughs> like, how, how did you end up so desperate that you need the metal <laughs> from cannons when like you have all this other amazing technology at your hands? I get there's no computer, but we're like, we can still smell. Oh, okay. Well, Okay, to that point, though, I mean, uh, you can smell it, but only if you have the raw materials to do so. Yeah, and we have planets. You have Arrakis. Think of the money it would cost to transport those goods over. We just talked about how much the so, guild charges. So wait, 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 Mike, what do you think we're doing with the metal? Like, you think we're leaving it on planet and we need the metal? No, no, we'll smelt it on planet. They, that's what they're going to use the metal for. They're going to smelt it down and then use it for whatever purposes they need. On that planet? On Arrakis? Yeah, you just need a fucking fire that's at, like... Right, no, but then why... Why? Like, then isn't it up to Nafu... Or, uh, I'm not Nafu, but... Isn't it, isn't it up to Raban, then? I guess. If it's his planet, and you're not gonna take the metal back home, why do you need the metal on planet? I... I that's a good point. I don't know. I get where you, you were trying to be like, no, we don't, we're not moving it again, but, Ooh, like... If he brings it back, then that's counterintuitive. Right! Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is But counter- if he leaves it on Arrakis, it's like, yeah, sure, like, we need the metal for things. Okay, I think, like, the, I think the one point we get to is both options are stupid right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ultimately what are we even arguing about 
I just don't. You're trying to justify this medal. I don't think you can. <laughs> it's such a weird point. I I think what you touched on it right the first time though. He's just being a dick. Um, <laughs> of like, oh, that's the one thing you want? No, you can't have that. I need that. I'm gonna. There's some bullshit reason why he can't do it. This is gonna turn him into metal blocks and like. Oh, orbit them that's and... that's upper management written all over it. <laughs> yeah. It's above your pay grade. Yeah. I love that. Um, so Raban, though, he is totally giddy at the prospect of having no leash on him this time. And uh, the Baron does tell him, like, I'll leave you a couple Leia's guns. Will that make you happy? Go, like, light up the desert. It's worked out so well so far, as Nafood told me. <laughs> kind of feels like he's setting him up for failure there. And then uh, the Baron cites the planet only has five million people on it. Oh, Which, shit. To me, that was, like, remarkably low. But again, uh, keeping in mind this is written in uh, 65, like, our planet was only up at, like, 3.5 billion people at that point. So I can see Frank imagining Terra dispersed into the universe, how that number would shrink down dramatically. Mm -hmm. But obviously, where we're at, I'm just like... All right, eight so billion like people, not, brother. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you can fit a few more on Arrakis. Well, it's a death... I mean... Yeah, sure, only sure. In, only in, like, what, like, three or four cities, and you've got some settlements? Yeah, yeah, actually, planes, But even the Fremen population is only, like, what, 10 million? We don't million? count the Fremen's, Derek. We, we have a rough... No, 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 from Duncan's estimate, is roughly, like, what, 10 million? Because he counts the hearths at the 1CH and gives uh, us, like, this broad number. Um, I might be... 10,000 per CH, that's what per it was. C you know what? Yeah, I think I'm confusing the 10 million with yeah. the second time they rounded them up. Because I on. thought it was 10, then I was excited it was 10,000 per settle or per yeah. CH or cave or whatever. Yeah, I'm confusing with our deep dive yeah, that we yeah, did. Yeah. Uh, you're right. So I bet there are even more of the Fremen out there, perhaps. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. But it still just seems like... it seems. Uh, I think I'd be a lot larger, even given... Because it's been populated for a long time. True, but like the, just the fact that most of it is just sand. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think you got to consider that as well. Yeah, yeah, but humans, we love to pile in. in I don't know. Field. I'll give you. I don't know. Are you giving no. me a hint about the Fremen? How many are there, Derek? Ah, I don't know. There are, there are a lot, though. <laughs> Ten? <laughs> Ten. Eleven confirmed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this actually doubles into, what, like you were saying, the Baron casting off the Fremen. Like, they aren't even worth counting. And Raban sort of chimes back in. And this is the line that I read you last week, uh, where he's like, oh, forgive me, my lord. But the Sadakar believes otherwise. And the Baron hesitated, staring at his nephew. You know something? And the Baron, Raban tells him like how he came in. He met with these lieutenants he knew before. And they uh, had been out there and were wiped out by a band of Fremen. They were ambushed and completely wiped out. And, uh, you know, the Baron sort of responds, this is impossible. And Raban just sort of shrugs. And lets the Baron, I think like he knows, like, you, there's no point pushing back on this. Like, you're just going to tell me no, regardless, based on pretty much how you've summed this up so mm -hmm. far. And um, Fremen defeating Sadokar, and the Baron sneers. And he sort of just refutes this claim, and it's uh, something we'll learn has been a f uh, rumor floating about the Imperium. And perhaps these weren't Fremen, just lieutenants you, uh, you saw. Uh, he's telling them that it's Atreides men trained by Hawat. And it's the only possible answer. The best part, Mike, he's not wrong. No, no. I think, I don't know if you've kept this in mind, and we're going to have this confirmed later on, but I've told you a few times. Mm -hmm. The Duke Leto has trained a force of soldiers that are one-to-one -one with Sadokar. And the, I don't think I recall that. 
I've brought it up twice. Really? Uh, yeah, I slid it in, and we're gonna have it confirmed in a few chapters. We're getting, okay, re- okay, we're getting yeah, real. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. We're getting really close. To, oh well, I would hope you would at any point. But <laughs> we're getting, is Gurney among them? Ah, <laughs> uh, yo. Yeah. 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 I imagine yeah. if he's not, then I'll be disappointed. No, and fucking Idaho is. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. That's what the, the confirmation. That's why he kills like however many of them. That's what I was going to say. The confirmation is in that moment we just saw with Paul looking through, and you saw Idaho dropping them left and right. I bet I bet the Fremen really appreciated that about Idaho, too. Like, uh, they probably had to do some sort of sparring or like know what he's capable of. Ooh, I love that you brought that up. We're going to address that in a couple chapters. Yeah. Uh, how, I mean, they were pretty impressed by Duncan. How the Fremen which is, again, feel about Duncan? Like, Duncan was probably the perfect person to send to the Fremen in every of, aspect. Of those lieutenants? I mean, yeah. I, even I tried to make a case for Gurney. It was like, oh, no, I'm wrong. I am way <laughs> wrong. The lad, the sirs. No, yeah. <laughs> Gurney is not cut out for that job. Duncan motherfucking Idaho? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, but we will come back to how the Fremen feel about Duncan. And I'm going to put a little pin in that one. Uh, but however, the Duke did have this little fighting force and the emperor knew about it. And that was the nail in the coffin for the emperor agreeing to the Harkonnen plan. The Duke is popular. The Duke is this rising force. The Duke has an army that might counter my Sadokar. No. That was just a line in the sand. So the Baron, though, he's pleased that the, uh, the Sadokar are going to be occupying themselves with this Fremen problem. He's like, you know what? That's going to keep them out of my hair. Like, let them go dally in the desert. Uh, I think Raban tells them they're going to have, a, they've initiated like a progum event mm-hmm. the uh, Fremen. They're just trying to like eliminate them now. And I love how like, that's how easy it is to rile up the Sadokar. Like a few forces get ambushed and like, change the battle plan. We're staying. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were only here. We're not supposed to be seen and we're supposed to be completely invisible. Yeah. But now we're doing this whole initiative to like wipe out a population. Of the yeah. Because they beat us in one <laughs> one fight. I mean, that's very Sardaukar. It's like, no. Yeah, this can't be. Mm-mm. We will stay until this is corrected. Or the very least, like, I want to see more. <laughs> no, I, I think it's very, I think the Fremen would be like, The Kyle, Fremen are excited. The Sardaukar Kyle like, would mm. want to see more. The Fremen are just oh, insulted. Oh, Kyle, rest in peace. Oh, you, Hey, he lived a long, short life with no long, name. short life. <laughs> so uh, the Baron continues with, he has a few other things he wants Raban to check up on while he's here. And he's like, look, why don't you take a hostage from every house miner on the planet? Because we can't have word getting off that, uh, you know, from any ambitious upstarts of what happened here, especially with the Sadakar. So he's going to pull these hostages in, and that's going to keep everybody in check. And uh, he t- tells him, like, look, the story that needs to be is the Duke was offered the usual quarter and exiled, but he died in an unfortunate ac- uh, accident before he could accept. Uh, he was about to accept, though. That's really important. Uh, and any rumor that there was a Sadokar here must be laughed at. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Right. And uh, Raban asks, again, I think kind of a pointed one about what about the smugglers? And the, They're idiots. No one will believe them. It's exactly. Like, again, like, okay. That's what we said about the Fremen. Now we need to look at the smugglers. <laughs> yeah. And we know that they're working together. So, well, uh, I, no, I don't think they do. They would not know that the smugglers. No, we know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know the we in that sentence. No. Uh, we started from a Harkonnen angle. <laughs> You're right. We do know that they are working together. Uh, and we're going to meet, actually, a smuggler in the coming chapters, too. Mike. Oh, good. Like, this book just keeps One expanding. One get killed instantly? <clears throat> oh, Derek. <laughs> don't get attached. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm not gonna tell you. So he's gonna <laughs> die quick, Mike. I will. I I am out here to encourage you. Who did you we to, lose? We lost Tuik, right? 
was uh, the guy's name? Esmir Tuick was his last name. Esmir oh. Tuick. Esmir Tuick. Yep. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, but I'm here to encourage you to find another Piter. So I'm not going to tell you if that puppy has cancer. I'm just going <laughs> to let you bring that puppy home. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, just watch this that's actually one. incredibly cruel yeah yeah it is uh, alright that's my know, experience reading Dune Harkin and chapter Mike <laughs> I got a one in Rome Mike what'd you think of Dune puppy had cancer that's what I pulled out of that yeah. book You're, Mike you need a tissue you're not looking so good <laughs> why'd you bring up Dune <laughs> <laughs> who talks about this book <laughs> so um, Raban, he's uh, allowed to take other measured uh, steps as well, which I like that the the Baron leaves, a, it's like a blank check for him. I'll do whatever you need to, and I'm just sort of leaving this open. Uh, but then the Raban the idiot shows back up, and he's sort of just like, so I can uh, just kill everybody and we'll get a new stock in on this planet? And the Baron has to like, this one actually surprises him, and he sort of whips his head around to be like, no, good God, no, you can't do that. And you and I have already covered in the uh, Zensuni Wandering how difficult it is to put populations on a planet. That yeah. Even the Landsrad puts that one on the Emperor. I'm like, you take care of that. Yeah. No one wants to bring more people here. And he says, I, I said squeeze, uh, nephew, not exterminate. Don't waste the population. And then he comes up with this great uh, analogy that I sort of alluded to earlier where he a carnivore never stops, shows Nero's mercy, never stops. Mercy is a chimera. It can be defeated by the stomach rumblings, its hunger, by the throat crying, its thirst. You must always be hungry and thirsty. The baron caressed his bulges beneath the suspenses, like me. So I think that is... Um, That's so silly. I imagine. I think of Fat Bastard from... Uh... Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts Power movies? Yep. Get in my belly. Yep, you killed that scene for me. <laughs> really? He wasn't dead before? No, not until the not seeing him in this in this kilt looking at mini me. <laughs> Get in my belly. Oh, that's terrible. I haven't thought of that movie in years. Yeah, dude. It's a gem. <laughs> it's a bad movie, but I love it's it. It's a really bad movie. Uh, good God. Yep. Yeah. Just be hungry. That's why I think uh, Raban is emulating him, though, so mm-hmm. to speak. And why he's ended up in the position he is. And uh, Raban just sort of sees Kynes as the only lingering subject in the air. And declaring, uh, the Baron declares, like, you know, he's going to be dead by next day. Like, don't even think about it. I've already, t- I've already taken care of that. Okay. Uh, and then we learn that Kynes is married to a Fremen. I don't think we've known that yet. No, so but we knew we knew he was Fremen. We knew he was in, like, or integrated. like for a chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've I mean, been thinking about it for a while though. Yeah, yeah. I've told you who that he had a dad who was also yeah. planetary. Also, home. when we played the board game, that's the name that you had covered up by the sticky that note. That is entirely the name I had covered up by a sticky note. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Leader of the Fremen, Liet Kynes. <laughs> I felt really dumb afterwards. Did you see the sandy hair and the sandy beard? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's, Shut it's up. all there. I mean, to be fair, everyone in the board game is white. Uh, like yeah, all the that was really are. weird. It's really off-putting. Um, and uh, I think we get another... Oh, and then we learn that Kynes can't leave the planet because of the spice addiction, and the Baron counts on this. And he that's knows sort that. Of, it's, it's sort of like a factor in the plan. It's like residual poison. It's mm. very... Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. You like that parallel right yeah. next to each other? Uh, again, the absence of something. And uh, I think we just get... Um, it's like, I don't, I don't know what Kynes' pay grade is, but he probably can't afford 
to buy spice on the regular outside of Arrakis. Mm-hmm. Especially with the amount that, like, I mean, it's in the environment. This is his entire being. If he leaves for a day, it's probably going to suck. Yeah, yeah, I think you would notice, like, yeah. right away. And, uh, you know, the Baron tells him, those who know will do nothing to endanger the supply. Kind certainly must know this. And so, I forgot, Raban says. They stared at each other in silence. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, you forgot about the one effect the spice has, Raban. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that's like I'll give him that moment of just like Raban, why are you being such a dum dum? But uh, for the most part, like Raban, he's in a very stressful situation. This is just not a great talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every I, time he comes up with a great point, the Baron just fucking shoots him down. And well, I wonder uh, he might not have even even known why he was summoned to the room today. Like when he came here tonight. Was he summoned? He was summoned after Nafud is dismissed. So Nafud came, came to give a report. Yeah. The Baron said, why do you come to wake me up? Saying nonsense. And then it's just like, oh, but here's my next appointment. Well, no, no. He gives him some serious and he finds a Ruthufir Hawa. That changes all the plans. Oh, so he summons him immediately after. Yeah. Now he knows. Oh, does he have a little button he hits or something? Like, I don't, oh, there problem. was nothing in the text about that. Uh, no, it just says he sent for him, so I don't know by what means, uh, he did. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, like, that's what brings Raban to the room. Okay. Uh, cause yeah, what, otherwise, like, Raban would have been showing up in the but middle of the night. It didn't make any sense. Wait, was it really? Yeah, yeah, we can, yeah. I don't, uh, it should that. be the in-between. Oh, damn, it's right there. What's Reached this? beneath a drapery beside his suspensor bed, pressed a button yeah. to summon his older nephew. He's got a button for everyone. I, I really like to think it's like an array of buttons behind that uh, this drapery. This is just a pager. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, intercom. It's on a spaceship, but yeah. it, might, it might go to a personal device. Yeah. Just like ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you see the bear and pop up and go, ah, oh, crap. Uh-huh. <laughs> Boss is calling. <laughs> Gotta go. And uh, the Baron, though, he does have another priority for a bond. And that is that my spice supplies need to be yeah. uh, topped off because um, a certain Razia went really well, apparently. Oh, a suicide mission, actually. Yeah. Well, I think the, the men knew that when they were going down. Yeah. The Duke did not color us in on that. Uh, but there was no coming back from that attack on Gaiety Prime. Mm-hmm. But then they There's did nothing it. to go back to at this point either. Well, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't have known that going out, but <laughs> that would have been even worse, I guess. They yeah, come back, yeah. and it's, it's like, just oh, Sadokar no. meet you at the airport, like, hello. Papers, please. <laughs> <laughs> Stab. Uh, but just great that they, dude, they really crippled his supply, apparently. Yeah. And nothing, like, the Baron's like, I need a stock. He's like, but low-key, I really need money, like, ASAP. And props to the Duke, where, yeah, the Baron couldn't admit this to anyone. Yeah. He had to keep this a little dirty secret, yeah. a little spot of embarrassment. And uh, Raban, yeah. Like, embarrassment also is right. A little bit of respect. Like, even in death, the Duke is still. Still gets you. Still getting me. Obviously. Same with Yui, which he will never admit, though. No. no. (laughs) Like, honestly, Yui is just like a black stain on everyone's record. (laughs) I'm like all the Imperium. Yeah. The entire Souk school, the Harkin and Bland, the The Atreides. Atreides. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the only upside is that one time he gave a Bible to a kid. Uh, that had some pretty good ramifications. Yeah. Good effect. Um, and he tells Raban uh, he needs to go and repeat a very similar line we're familiar to when he takes control. Okay. But I have all that kind of bundled up. And as we get to Mike, we're here at the last couple paragraphs of this oh, chapter. God, we're getting there. It's been a long chapter. Yeah, we, had, we had a couple of tangents, but. We did. Not, not too far. So the Baron brightened. Now tomorrow morning. You will assemble what remains of organization here, and you'll say to them, Our sublime Padishah Emperor has charged me to take possession of this planet and end all dispute. I understand, my lord. 
This time, I'm sure you do. We will discuss it in more detail tomorrow. Now, leave me to finish my sleep. The Baron deactivated his door field, watched his nephew out of sight. A tank brain, the Baron thought. Muscle-minded tank brain. They will be a bloody pulp here when he's through with them. Then, when I send in Fade Raltha to take the load off them, they'll cheer their rescuer. Beloved Fade Raltha, benign Fade Raltha, the compassionate one who saves them from a beast. Fade Raltha, a man to follow and die for. The boy will know that uh, the boy will know by the time how to oppress with impunity. I'm sure he's the one we need. He'll learn. He's such a lovely boy. Really a lovely boy. And then I remember, oh, right, the Baron's a pedophile. Such a pedophile. I totally forget that every time. Yeah. What a fucker. <laughs> Literally. It's his job, Mike. Oh, God. <sighs> now. So they, Frank really colors him to be the like ultimate terrible person. He's got to be every shade. He's got to be like the guy you hate, yeah. even as the reader. Even when we we can see even this chapter, we kind of liked him a little bit. They, he was I mean, winning like, this over. Here's the thing: he's got a lot of like interesting points, and he's like he's a good character. Y- yeah, he's a he's. Why don't you even go? He's a great villain. He's a great villain. Yeah, and but I I feel like it's just that extra cherry on top of just like and by the way. <laughs> yes like uh it's almost unnecessary but like i kind of like it because i am just physically disgusted by this person yeah 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 it does see the the hedonism of so i mean like i guess good job frank good job <laughs> i don't know i feel i feel bad about it <laughs> i don't like it don't we're land on it uh is there anything else from that chapter that we know i think, you I bring think up? we uh we hit all the points that i wanted to talk about awesome awesome because i gotta talk some more baron with you mike all right i got a little deep dive all right now looking back I thought I told you this story already. And a few chapters ago, I asked you about um, remembering the name of the Mentat the Harkonnens had. And you gave me sort of this blank look. And granted, it had been since chapter two. And I was like, ah, that's fair for why I didn't remember. I played back chapter two, Mike. I never told you the story. <laughs> oh, no. What was it? <laughs> it's the Baron's backstory. So, like, we touched on points. but We like, talked a bit about it, right? We, it was just a different show format in kind of a way. Oh, we were still, I mean, like, yeah, it was early days. We were st- Second episode. Early days. It was only, like, six months ago. Gee, I don't even want to think about that. Um, it feels <laughs> it like less even. It feels it like, like an eternity. Months. But, no, nonetheless, so we were doing sort of this different setup where we kind of hit each character as they came up in ways because every, everything was new in the first couple chapters. Uh, so I had told you a few things, but I didn't give you, like, the full narrative. And at this point, I would really like to double back and tell you the backstory of the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Okay. And let's learn a little bit more about him so we know his parents and stuff like that. So, Baron Vladimir, he is the third son of a Sirdar Baron Gunseng, Gunseng Harkonnen, and uh, the Baroness Muertana, which, uh, with the bull, I hope you touched on it. Yeah, I just want to... Muerte is the Latin root for dead or death. Yeah. So Muertana should color that entirely. That's what she's going to be like. She is uh, later known as the Black Widow, a dark beauty with the disposition of a scorpion. That's his mom. (laughs) Okay, Already I believe it. Not a great household, right? So, uh, Gunsung, he had married, uh, um, oh my God, I'm reaching for her name now, Muertana, uh, just so he could form an alliance with this powerful, powerful house, uh, House Cerobella. And uh, that is Italian, from what I got, for I Am Beautiful. What was it called, Cerobella? Cerobella. 
Bella is the word for be- I knew Bella was beautiful. It's the same in Spanish. Uh, it's called okay. Bella, where the double L makes sort of a Y sound. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. So I separated them. I was like, I just searched it. I was like, I, found, well, I, think, I think this is something. And I found out Cero Bella is like, I am beautiful in Italian. Okay. Uh, it was either I am or I will be. Uh, I think it was like, I am though. Uh, so I love that. I'm just like, cool. That's a little, little piece in there. And uh, so, like I said, Vlad was the third son. The first son died in infancy. The second son was named Araskin, and he was a club-footed, simple-minded giant. <laughs> Making him sound like the beast. <laughs> kind of, yeah, the original. He stood two meters tall and weighed close to 110 kilograms. So that's like about oh. 220, 230 pounds. Uh, and this is when it, when it says in his prime. Uh, I love that. So he was uh, ferocious and very devoted to his mother. His mm-hmm. mother very much coddled him. And she sort of like uh, he viewed himself as like this potential champion that was frustrated at birth. And she really encouraged that delusion. Gunsang basically wrote him off and ignored him. He never even acknowledged him as his natural child, though he didn't like disavow it publicly. I imagine this is just to give you an implication of what it was like in their household. I feel like he didn't even acknowledge this kid like when this person when they were in the same room. Mm -hmm. So Araskin is just seen as like a freak, essentially. Vladimir is born five years after Haraskin. And in Vlad's birth, uh, the father really finds what he wanted. Vlad is quick. Vlad catches on. Vlad learns. Intelligent. Exactly. Uh, And we get this little, uh, I'm going to read you this paragraph from it. Uh, This is about Vlad. As he grew to manhood, he received training in the arts martial, musical, and political from the best tutors his father could afford. He soon showed a high intelligence, an insatiable hunger for learning, (laughs) <laughs> and an extraordinary ability to observe, absorb what he, th- what he was taught. Although stocky of build, he was well-knit, darkly handsome, with a full, round face, and charming in an earthly way. Mm. His baritone singing voice was notable for its strength, range, and suppleness. <gasps> Baron's got a voice on him! That's our young Baron. Like, he was in choir. What's that? He was in choir. D- what do you mean? Uh, the guy had to be singing in choir. I'm oh, oh you now. got you. I thought you were saying in choir, like, like that. Oh, magazine. no, no. I'm just like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> in choir. Yes, I think so. I think he was doing it. He's like, I a, the Baron was a choir boy. He seems like, well, just a bit of a renaissance man. I yeah. Like he had it all going on. Like he was part of the aristocracy. He's moving on up. Like, right. yeah, he doesn't seem like he has many things holding him back. Uh, the poet, Sil Reeve Perrin, leaves us this little extract from his interaction with the young Baron. Uh, And what a prodigy he was, handsome and penetrating with full lips and hearty features. At 18, he was already a commanding presence, born to rule. And when he sang, even the cynical courtiers Gorsung had inherited produced crocodile tears of rapture. Crocodile tears. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Perhaps only hindsight enables me to think I sense something evil beneath the strong manly appearance, especially during his most charming moments. Perhaps it was his voracious eyes, missing nothing, consuming you as they looked. But to witness his quality in, f- in fencing matches, Cheops tournaments, and musical performances Ooh. was simply to be impressed by the man himself. Even then, he was commander of Harko's Praetorians and privy to Gunsing's deepest counsels, which excluded his mother and older brother. It was obvious he was being groomed for the barony. And how else could it be? One... I can totally imagine him playing chops and being like very good at it. Yes. Two, is he the one that plays the chops game where someone dies? Oh, uh, I don't know, Mike. <gasps> Gotta leave that one, but there's a deadly chops game coming uh, up. Three, what does Praetorians mean? 
Uh, Praetorians is in like the Roman sense of like a guard. Um, oh. Part of the legion that were bodyguards of the okay so, it's so sort like of they're like, like those are the people you want like watching your back yeah like I'd best of the best the praetorian that's like your secret service at Got, this point. okay gotcha, so like gotcha. of the harkonnen units then there's the praetorian guard All right. uh, and we're gonna use that word a couple times but again i think that is just linking back to the roman heritage for this whole universe that totally makes sense yep. like it so mortana she felt very shunted uh like how this uh poet's uh excerpt kind of tells us she wasn't in the council and uh t- she shunted to the side with a raskin uh, and we get to this point and this jumps forward even in the article. So I don't know the date of this precisely, but there's a state banquet that's being held. It's at the, uh, the Royal palace in Harco. So that's, uh, I assume the same building we were in when we had our when side we started, meeting. Yeah, exactly. When we visited the place and at the state banquet, Araskin murdered his father and, at- and attacked Vladimir, nearly killing him before the Mentat, Chardin Cleese, Stuck a poison needle into a Raskin's neck. Why did a Raskin try and kill Vlad? The mother. The mother that coddled him and promote. Oh. Like, finally snapped at something. And he goes and he attacked him and he tries to kill Vlad too. Oh of my just like God. wiping both them out. And it's the Mentet that finally jumps in and he kills him with like, not quite a Gamja bar, but damn near close with a needle with poison. Why, like, uh, I mean, yes, in the encyclopedia mm-hmm. universe, do you think that's why Vlad uh, has a little bit more respect towards Mentats? looks up to him Ooh, interesting for why he he definitely kind of treasures them is like sort of like maybe the word like I they're important they're invaluable yeah 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 maybe the one oh. saved his life it's like a little extra day. cherry there i don't know yeah i like it i like it uh we're gonna see tardin made did strike an impression on him uh this this article told me so um at that moment vladimir changed that night he strangled his mother oh jesus yeah, he goes up, uh, they lock her away uh, in prison her that night, and he tell, they wanted to execute her. He says, no, I'll take care of this. And he goes up to that room alone. And then there are many a rumor that swirls, and we're going to touch on later, of what happened before. But he ultimately did kill her that night and then came back down. That was the night he became the Baron Vladimir Harkin. Okay. That is what colored, like, like that's the end of his childhood and his good old days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that was his Gam Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. His big test that he puts through. Uh, and at the age of 20, he had become the Baron Harkonnen of folklore. That little paragraph ends. So uh, the Baron's rule from that point on was just characterized by brutality. That's sort of a family trait, but obviously I think his mother really kicked it up a notch with all of her actions that Mm -hmm. night. Uh, And he views his father's weakness as his downfall. Really? Yeah, that he sort of like, he let that fruit bear. Uh, you know, that he allowed his mother to have this, that he didn't get rid of a Raskin entirely. Like mm-hmm. the Baron probably wouldn't keep something like someone like that around. I feel like that would be someone he would toss to the curb right. at the beginning. Um, all the Praetorians and military personnel were subjected to deep psychochemical interrogations and stress analysis from this point. So again, he's checking for traitors. He doesn't trust anyone. Anybody. I, I, you had someone so close to you turn against you. Right. It's going to change. Like, yeah, who can you trust at that point? You. you. Yep. It's the only person. And uh, anyone connected or sympathetic to the Cerobella family was beheaded. Oh, my God. That was within like a week. And that's like planet-wide. Gaiety Prime. Just anyone Ooh. with a connection to them. So sorry. Uh, he then realigned the minor houses, basically beat them into complete submission. And that turned Gaiety Prime into what it is today. Then the Baron started with his plan. And you, this you, plan that we touched oh, on today, bigger, what bigger? Because it ends with what you want. You mentioned with him getting on the throne, right? Or an, uh, someone on the throne, someone Harkonnen on the throne. Yes, 
Uh, so he already has that idea in his head. And he realizes, like, okay, what do I have to do to get there? He's working backwards. And the first step he decides is, like, I need to get a chome directorship before I can do anything. I'm not going to be able to, like, sway anyone. You have to or... get money. You need to have uh, political leverage. Well, he's thinking the money gets you. The money gets him into Landsrat. Right. I can't convince these people in Landsrat unless I'm part of Chome because there is a direct right, relation in the Landsrat yet. Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, uh, he might be. I thought you just said that he was looking for a way into the Landsrat. No, he's looking for a, a Chome directorship. Right. To and be able to, a... to sway people. In oh, the to Lanzrad. sway the. Okay. I'm saying Never he, mind, he wants that money, that sweet Solaris. Gotcha. I see uh, what you mean. I see yeah. And uh, then he thinks with the Chome directorship, he can build an alliance within the Landsrad aimed squarely at the Emperor. He basically wants to become what Duke Leto becomes. Oh. Be the like the rising star within the Landsrad, right? And he's like, well, step one, I need to just appear completely loyal to the Imperial family because that's my fastest way to Chome. Even though he knows he's going to turn on he's that. He's going to suke it up. Yep. Uh, wait, suke it up? What do you mean? <laughs> he's going to, like, what? Uh, someone that you would never suspect of being a traitor. <laughs> okay, okay. I like it. Yeah. You turned it into a verb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you caught me off guard. No one's ever said that before. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Because what he's going to start with is he gives the Imperial House uh, 20% of all the profits from a couple mining outfits that it has. Okay. And it said that that wasn't super uncommon for new houses coming in and trying to, like, get sway. Yeah. But it's just a, a good tried and true method. Of like, hey, here's a lot of money. Isn't that cool? Look at me, Dad. Look at me. <laughs> uh, he also, though, simultaneously was making deals with lesser houses Ooh. while, like, sending the profits of that money to the Imperium. So he so wasn't he's, losing anything he's, much. No, he's gaining favor in both circles. He's building that little Landsrad, a group he's going to want, but right. also like still funding like, the Imperial. Oh, because like, once I get you into Landsrad, you're going to stay loyal, right? Yeah, everybody, ah. we're all on the same page. Uh, and so I love that. He's just, and it says he's using like through various channels, getting money into the Imperial coffers. Okay. okay. So I'm imagining shell corporations, some extra taxing on deals, <laughs> like all, all the curry, uh, conniving stuff you could imagine. And, uh, house Carino, it naturally, it receives these royalties. A lot of these royalties under the table, uh, along with military conscripts, raw resources and finished products. Uh, it said finished products on negotiated terms, a euphemism for kick kickbacks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Love it. And, uh, and then it says like Vlad, he had an ultimate skill of putting a bribes in the right place at the right time, which is exactly the line that he brought up in this chapter when he was kind of reveling to himself in between the food and Ravad coming. Mm -hmm. He's like, I did it all so good. All the bribes are in the right place. Yeah. That's what I think where they're pulling from for this one. So his financial practices were questioned by a Landsrad delegation of inquiry, though. And so the Harkonnen, he had a rebuttal ready to go. What benefits Harkonnen's, uh, what benefits Harkonnen benefits the Landsrad? What benefits the Landsrad benefits Chome. And benefits Chome benefits all. We must all work together. Economic fertility sustains us, and I wish merely to manure that ground. Those who accuse me of corruptive practices simply envy my success. My only answer is, why are they so poor? That's a good Baron quote. That's really good. And the book tells me that um, the smoothness of that retort is very emblematic of one Chardin Cleese. Oh, how's Mentat? Mentat. That would have been the thinking he would have implied. Vlad kept that Mentat around for like a solid 30 years. 
And so he was what twenty when he got, or yeah, about twenty by the time he took the barony. Yeah, it so brings it's going to so brings us up to the year one hundred one sixty two. Okay, so he's about fifty ish years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, it tells me that no one was ever able to replace Cleese. Ooh, right, yeah. It's going to build up a little bit more. And uh, Vlad went through a number of mentats, most of them twisted, up until the years when he arrived at Piter the Bride. <gasps> Piter? Who's P- this? Who's this stud? Last, last in line. Um, but the, to go back to that 101-62, uh, Vlad was 52. You're pretty much mm-hmm. dead on when you said he was 50. Uh, that was also the year that the Harkin and Favor pretty much changed. That's when they got Arrakis. <gasps> Oh, that's a big deal. That is. But so that does change when you and I were just wildly speculating. Um, I think we were assuming that uh, Piter was involved in getting Arrakis. And so that is not the case. Right. Piter came after. But so Piter helps put the pieces together within that. Um, so Arrakis gave the Baron, kind of gave him breathing room, right? That was a huge boon for the, his household. Right. And that's him making a lot of advances. In that short amount of time, there's 30 years of him plotting and scheming and working his way up. He has Arrakis. He now has a little play. I can kind of take my time with my plan, right? I'm on the track. So what area do you think he decides to, like, look into? This is in, like, recreational kind of thing. He expands a little bit. He goes out of his normal purview. The Baron? Yeah. I don't know. No, oh, because you were never going to guess it. Oh. Sexually, Mike. The Baron's like, I'm going to get a little freaky. Uh, Actually, no, because I was thinking, like, does it have something to do with Gamont? Oh, damn, you should have said uh, so. Damn it. You, you would have been so close. So this is the only time he pursues a heterosexual relationship. And they kind of bring it up that it might have been him being uh, self-conscious of his, like, um, it's using the word pederasty, which I didn't know was a thing. Okay, what's uh, that mean? It's like, it's a noun for the love between a man and a boy. Oh. So, like, the pedophile aspect of right, it. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's pederasty. And so it was saying, like, those sexual thoughts in his head, maybe he was finally starting to, like, um, be self-conscious or judge himself by them. Okay. And so he tries to appeal to a more, like, normal state of being. Uh, and we'll go into why it doesn't work out for him. <laughs> so <laughs> Reverend Mother Creosia offers him a consort. And... Because he's like into this at this point, he he accepts it no questions asked, okay. which to her must have been like excellent because they're here. Well, they're here right. for they, a breeding. They line. got they got a job. Yeah, this is she is specific again uh, the same way Jessica was offered to Leto, and it seemed like Leto was taking the initiative. Right? No, they manipulated you the whole way to get their breeding line in check, mm-hmm. and that's what they're doing here. And a consort named uh, Tanidia Niras is sent to him. Okay. Now that is not a real name. Okay. Tanidia Niras. That's who he's introduced to. That is Gaius Helen <gasps> In disguise. Are you kidding me? Kid you not. Oh. She's coming here undercover, Mike, because we had a, we threw all the tropes in, and she gets a little extra identity for this time. Now, it gets even more complicated, Mike, because oh. there's debate among what happened in between them, but there's a whole angle of people that believe the Baron truly loved Tanidia. You think? Oh, I I don't know. I'm just telling you what the this That's what the encyclopedia. encyclopedia, right? There's no more. I lines think I think they're to, romanticizing it that they wanted to. Yeah, be. yeah. So nonetheless, um, uh, yeah. Certainly, since the book gives no context whatsoever, they got whatever yeah. leeway they wanted to run with in the encyclopedia. Right, right, right. But I like this idea that maybe the Baron did get attached. Maybe he did love her, but she wasn't going to stay regardless. In her eighth month of pregnancy, she flees and is just gone. So he would have known she was pregnant. Oh hell yeah! She yeah. stayed there for eight months. Right, right, right. She was there. He knew he had a child on the way. He wasn't concerned about that, With, being the family guy that's all about his house. What do you, what he do you mean? He wouldn't have sent people after that. Oh, no. So once she was gone, 
again, fake name. She disappears behind the Bene Gesserit veil of secrecy. It's like she never existed. What's he gonna do? Bene Gesserit. I think he, okay. Again, lead, I, this is only encyclopedia. There's no book thing in it. Right, right, right. I like to think he did fall in love with her. And I bet he did do everything he could. But there's no one to find. You're fighting against the Bene Gesserit at that point. And then imagine the inner turmoil and like the pain he would feel. He would probably be that much more self-conscious of himself. Mm. Like if, uh, if somebody just ghosts you. Right. Like your only thing is like, what did I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, was it me? <laughs> the Benny Jesuit, the ultimate ghost. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, was it that bad? Like, and him just going through all these thoughts. So we have a record, though, from Reverend Mother Criosia's journal. Okay. I, I pulled this one out myself. I went to the Benny Jesuit archives. And uh, it's a little dialogue between her and someone marked Tanidia. So it goes as so. Creosia, you are aware how much this has cost us. There will be no question as to your child's parentage. Uh, I'm sorry, there must be no question as to your child's parentage. Tanita responds, There is none. Those subliminal arousal techniques were necessary to overcome his impotence. Creosia. Such techniques weren't necessary with his boys. Tanidia. As our psychological profile indicated, his misogyny is deeply rooted but ambivalent. Inverted idealization of the aniba reflects on his own childhood. Thus, the love for the young boys himself in his own mind. The murder of Mortana was a release, but there is a strong reason to believe that before he murdered her, they, there's a hyphen, and she gets cut off, and Creosia cuts in. Now he channels it through repression and hatred, reverting himself unconsciously. Good. It is a lever should we ever need it. You have done well, my dear. You will bear a daughter, of course. What the that's fuck? So that's a pretty deep fucking Whoa. dive into the Baron's mind. Are right? you? Oh my god! So we got a few things to unpack there. One, this is like a true crime drama now. <laughs> yeah, like, right. It basically unpacking like, yeah, he's the serial killer. Uh, he's definitely murdered a few. Yeah, I was time. gonna say you can't color that differently. Nope. Uh, so there's the rumor that he slept with his mother the night before he murdered her. Oh my her, god. Or they had some sexual liaison. That's all encyclopedia, though. I should right. Emphasize. And like, there, I guess in your story you told me there was nothing to like say that like, I don't know, she coddled him. I don't know. She coddled a raskin. A raskin. Okay. Yeah, she yeah. didn't get to coddle. So then like, I guess what, like, how do you draw that parallel from that story? What do you mean? I don't know. Like, there was nothing to make me think that, like, oh, there was something there. Or, like, something happened. I would have never guessed that other than that little, like, one-on-one between the two, Benny Gesserit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then otherwise, just what I told you before, where, like, that night there were rumors. And that that is all we have. Oh, and that's God. all that she refers to, too. Uh, but it's only in the encyclopedia, like, uh, recounting of that. Uh, but I like that they're sort of in the uh, reflecting on, like, his childhood being, like, the lover boys is, like, himself. Of him just trying to love himself in a way. And he'll right. never be able to. And the Moritana thing See, was just like a violent release of energy and action. I, I like that psychological pull there. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that the Bene Gesserit then, like, the river mother in charge of Guy's Hellaheim is like, good, we'll make note of that. Is that the way he's also attracted to uh, boys that look like him or have his genetic line? Ooh, nice catch. Ooh. Maybe. Oh, my Hello. God. Yeah. Well, I guess since... All the encyclopedia is ever going to do is reinforce the I mean, text, yeah, yeah, the I mean, text yeah, of the book. Yeah, true, so true. It well, is like, like a little Ouroboros, yeah. but like, I like what you're saying. Though. Yeah, again, that is very 
like physically him trying to love himself. Yeah. The closest person to me. I, I love that. That's really good. And uh, so that child is born in 10154, which is the date that we know Jessica was born, <gasps> that we even reverse engineered, uh, which I loved. And we end up, at, so this kind of brings us to the end where I want to be in uh, the Duke, in the Baron's story. And this is the point where his plan with Piter would come in. Piter is on mm-hmm. the stage at this point. We start plotting against the it's Red Duke. It's a on Piter. Because mm-hmm. they're on Arrakis. It's like, hey, Piter, try out, try out this uh, this new product we try have. This, you might this, like it. This stuff, man, it's so, so good. Here's a bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the KFC Here's a bucket. <laughs> Here's the family pack. That's how he starts them off. Like, a little <laughs> bucket of spice for you. So the other person I wanted to touch on uh, would just be the Count Lassi Raban and how he kind of squeezes into things real quick. And so Raban, like I told you, is the other son of Abelard. He is the, bro- the demi-brother who fled and peaced out as soon as Vlad strangled his mother upstairs. He's like, I'm good. Uh, like, doesn't, nah. doesn't seem like my place. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I like that uh, Abelard, as he was a child of a, of a concubine. So he mm-hmm. did, they don't, Mortana was not his mother. Oh, he had, a, he had a different mother. His um, I don't think I actually. Oh, his mother was a uh, Gunella Sorvag, and uh, he survived. He was the only child that survived all the palace intrigue, then. like of these other uh, concubine children and stuff. And uh, then he leaves. He goes to the Count of Raban Lankiavale, and he takes Thor Raban as his concubine. And they, he, with her, he bears two children: Fade Ralpha and Galasu. Glasu will be Glasu Raban. Fade Rautha will take the Harkonnen name ultimately and be Fade Rautha Harkonnen. And Glasu, he had a strong physique and a strong power of will. He's not with style or subtlety, though. He's a very blunt force kind of man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just said as like his strong point for him of that, like when he decided to do something, you can't break Glasu of that. Like, he will get it done. He will just bullheadedly charge into mm-hmm. it. And uh, A lot of conviction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Vlad saw a very useful tool in Glasu, and that's why he decides to use him on Arrakis. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the perfect thing that I have at the perfect time. And uh, this also means that we know Glasu was the only Harkonnen who ruled here, because the Baron worked all that time to get there, and then he had too many, like, uh, it said he had too many irons in the forge at that point. So that's why he couldn't personally manage uh, Arrakis. But he puts Glasu there. But you and I had talked before, you'd asked me if anybody else had Arrakis before. And so no one in the Harkonnen family did. It would have been some other family controlled it before then. Mm-hmm. And so he just sends uh, Raban there to deal with it. And, uh, well, Raban is on there. He rules with brute force. Uh, more and more Fremen fled into the desert and uh, go into the south in particular, where the guild uh, stubbornly refuses to let him put monitoring satellites up. And he's really put off by this. Ultimately, he kind of cows the population and just treats them. They're, they're basically subjected slave labor. They're paid minimum, minimum wage, whatever the Imperium makes you pay people. And the dungeons in Carthag become a symbol of cruelty where everyone's loved ones and friends are just disappeared into because he just pulls in anyone who is an upstart, right? And uh, we get a little psychoanalysis of Glossu. And this is, I kind of actually told you this in the beginning where... Uh, one, it's an accepted uh, belief that the Harkonnens have a genetic disposition to cruelty. Mm-hmm. But then more importantly, what I told you before, Glossu being overlooked for his more intelligent and better looking younger brother would have had a severe impact on him. Mm. Made him insecure, made him try harder, made him feel like he had, was uh, resentful in some right. way. 
on top of that, they had there was just general bullying uh, through his whole childhood of like keeping him down and pushing him around. That's how the Harkonnens are raised. Uh, so Glossu sees his reinstatement, it tells me, to his reinstatement to Arrakis, which is the chapter we just witnessed. Right. He views this as a chance at fortune. This is like he's going to make a supreme act of loyalty to be like, no, I can be something. Like, it's not just Fade, Rautha. Glossu deserves like a place in this family. So him going back to Arrakis, that's what he's going to prove this time around. I think that's all I got to tell you about uh, Glossu for now. I got one more little bit uh, on Fade Rautha, but I'm going to wait for the next time when they show up in the story. So I think that uh, that's brings me to the wow. end of our deep dive. Mike. I didn't expect to go down that route. That was actually crazy. Because I remember you sort of telling me it was a very like Red Wedding style like takeover with yep. Baron. Yeah. But like that's fucked up. That's yeah. It's super dark uh, and it never gets really bright. There's no dawn in the Harkonnen world. Oh, my God. But uh. Derek, are you ready? Oh, I'm like, I was born ready. Do you know how many times I'm ready, ready, ready it's for Gurney? Gurney, Gurney! I'm so happy! I've, I've been loving the Gurney game. I got a couple of different Gurneys, and actually, I've got a couple lined up, but I'm gonna stick with last week's for now because I just, I really like the lineup between Gurney Halleck. James Gurney and Ivor Gurney. Ivor Gurney. Ivor Gurney. I've I've read a lot more of his stuff. Yeah. Very good. Uh, it's if, very good. Am I confused? Is he the one that did the um he went to France and wrote a little yeah. poetry book? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's he, Ivor Gurney. Who's the, the He's parallel an to Gurney Halleck? They're he, like very similar. Right, right. I, I was didn't know if that was uh William Benny Gurney <laughs> Sir Gurn Benham Gurney. <laughs> sure. Or Sir sorry. Ooh, <laughs> Sir William Gurney Benham. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that Gurney in particular is impossible for me. But okay, so I, 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 we'll get back to him. But Ivor like, Gurney, born, born in Gloucester, went to France, yeah, read the dope I book, found another, came back. I actually found right. another Gurney, born in Gloucester, but we're not gonna we're not gonna do him. All right, put him up. Well, so for today, what do you got for a Gurney All quote, right. Mike? I am ready to tear this, this a, apart and tell you exactly cool what Gurney it is. All right. I remember salt smoke from a beach fire and shadows under the pines, solid, clean, fixed. Seagulls perched at the tip of land, white upon green, and a wind comes through the pines to sway the shadows. The seagulls spread their wings, lift, and fill the sky with screeches. And I hear the wind blowing across our beach, and the surf, and I see that our fire has scorched the seaweed. Ah, uh, okay. I think I know this. Okay. The scorched seaweed, I believe, has come up in uh, a dune. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going Gurney Halleck. Uh, oh. Like, up until all the way through the pines and the seagulls, maybe be like, ooh, I don't know where that would, like, lean to. Like, I don't think pines are really attributed to, like, I don't think of that when I think of, like, the French forest or, like, an English forest, Double right? pines? Uh, but to a coast. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll give you, you. I'll I give you that. You I see what you mean. I, I'm drawing the two of, like, okay, sure, uh, sure. getting down there. And that might, I mean, that could be totally wrong, but that's just right, right, immediately right. of what I'm grasping for. So wait, why, why are you thinking Gurney Halleck then? The scorched seaweed. Scorched is, seaweed. Um, I, I think there's a moment where Paul recites a song and then Jessica is like, why did you choose that one? I'm pretty sure it mentions like scorched seaweed. That just is really standing out to me. Uh, so I'm going to trust my gut on this one. Okay. Uh, and that is purely what I'm riding on. I, right. for some reason, have, like, scorched seaweed has, like, a Gurney Halleck tag onto it, where it's like, this is the guy that told me that. Right, right, right. Um, and it's such, like, a, 
it is a very like Caladan destroyed sort of imagery, almost like burning the sea, or it's sort of an oxymoron in a way where like you imagine seaweed being wet and underwater. So like to burn it is a strange thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it's, what I was just poetic. thinking there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I want to go. I want to lock in for Gurney Halleck. Gurney Halleck. Bum, bum, bum. All right. Um. Well, Derek, did you know that in Dinotopia, when the plane <laughs> crash lands, they wash up on a beach, and uh, this poem for Sad Times is by Gurney Halleck from Dune. Oh, oh my, oh, this empty glass was about to be thrown at you. Oh, no. I'm really glad you recovered. If you would have told me that was Dinotopia, you were going to have some explaining to do. So it wasn't James Gurney in Dinotopia, it was in fact Gurney Halleck. It's yes. called Poem for Sad Times. It actually has a title to it. Perfect. Um, I couldn't tell you when it said in the book. I didn't look into that, and I'm trying to keep that spoiler free for myself. But Ooh. I found some amazing. Wait, things. wait. So is it in? Is it in Dune or it's Brian? In Dune. Okay. And w- do you know when? I don't know. I just said oh, I don't I, know oh, when. I'm sorry. I, I really <laughs> thought you just told you I could tell you when, but I didn't look into it. No, 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 no. Like I, I, know. I can't tell you when. I just okay. know it's from. Dune. I, I think this is exactly the moment I just recalled. That. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it, I think it might be. Yeah. Based on what you said, which is gonna be in book two. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I actually, I. So I, when I was looking at this quote, I did a couple polls and I found on SoundCloud, someone did a really great, like, uh, they did a, a song of this, which like was very Gurney Halleck to me. Yeah. It's supposed to be poem for sad times. Imagine him definitely doing some sort of like music to this on the ballot set. They did a song that was just amazing. I'm going to go ahead and sort of like put the song on the outro. And if they, I'm credit them, of course, but if they get back to me and say like, Hey, like take that down, of course I'm going to take it down. I'll replace it with our original exit song but okay i really okay. want people oh, to hear this because it's, like it. really, yeah, yeah. it's really it's really good potential for it that's yeah. awesome uh-huh. uh, and if more people can hear it the better because i think it's just gorgeous yeah yeah we should get anything out that we can mm-hmm. that's fantastic but uh you got a point there you're you're hey 50 50 50 hey i'm no concerns over here mike stress-free in my new life Wait until you get to the next one. i just love playing gurney gurney Do you know gurney. there's a gurney that's famous for raising guinea pigs uh, Hyman Gurney. Pete Gurney. No. Oh. <laughs> or Peter Gurney, actually. Peter Gurney. Pete Gurney is actually the alias of another Gurney who's a scholar. Is he alias? Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's an alias of, but not the same Gurney. No, it's A.R. Gurney, It just happens to be the same name that a different Gurney chose? Yeah. With Gurney in the name? Peter's a very common name, Derek. Okay. okay. Gurney's not. You didn't cover up the obvious part of your name. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry, it was A.R. Gurney, who's a playwright and novelist, also went by Pete Gurney. Hmm. But there's also a Peter Gurney, who is uh, a famous guinea pig handler. <laughs> I love that! <laughs> a famous guinea pig, how many are there? Uh, well, let me just, uh, you know, because it was a pretty short Gurney game, let me just tell you about Peter Gurney. An author and campaigner for the rights and welfare of guinea pigs. From uh, March. I, I like, I don't even know how to feel. I'm just like, did you waste your life? Like, what were you, what strides did he make? Did, is he the reason they're pets? I wonder if like, what did, what the fuck were we doing to <laughs> guinea pigs that upset know, this man so from much? From 1938 to 2006, this man. To uh, 2006, <laughs> he was a guinea pig, like, represented lobbyist. Wasn't that his lifespan? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming this was his life work, Mike, was guinea pig Maybe. awareness. Starting in 1990, Gurney was a regular hospital visitor to Great Ormond Street Hospital with five of his guinea pigs. The children called him the guinea pig man. Uh, I'm I'm a little creeped out now. Yeah. We, I'm, this guy has been a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck he stands for. <laughs> Ultimately, if like if the peak of his thing was just like kids should play with guinea pigs, like, okay, I'll give you that. But 
When Great Ormond St. Hospital told him the guinea pigs were no longer welcome for health and safety reasons, Gurney complained, that bunch of control freaks in government took this away from me. All right, Gurney, I'm back <laughs> off your side. Of, uh, maybe we listen to the doctors and we don't bring rodents into hospitals. Oh, I don't think... <laughs> terrible, terrible time. I'm going to know this Gurney when it always drops guinea pigs somewhere yeah. in the quote. <laughs> he was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Okay. And uh, during this recovery, that's when he wrote a lot of his books. Uh, can you guess a couple of the names of these books? Guinea pigs, why they should be treated better and how to do so. Uh, the Count of Guinea Pig Cristo. Oh, that's uh, a great one. I like that. It might be Guinea Cristo. Guinea uh, Cristo. You might drop the pig. <laughs> that's a great uh, one. <laughs> I don't think I can do any other puns on the spot. Uh, he wrote his first book in the initial recovery, The Proper Care of Guinea Pigs, taking all the photographs himself, and then a number of other books, the most prominent uh, name, including The Sex Life of the Guinea Pig. Uh, okay, he's definitely a weirdo. It's uh, <laughs> no, too far. We don't know him that much, so. <laughs> but the cancer came back. It was incurable. Jesus, Mike. <laughs> Not ready for that one. You just told me he was fine. This is your cancer puppy. Yeah. I feel like it was forced on me, though. I didn't even want to bring this puppy home, but I have him now. All right, Peter. He made arrangements to find new homes for his guinea pigs. God damn it, Peter. <laughs> 40 of which survived him before his death at age 68. His final book, <laughs> Last of Their Kind, was released post Okay, hold up. How long does a guinea pig live for? That's a great question. Uh, I, need, I need this uh, Yeah, well, you need to look that up for me. Yeah, I'm on but it. His final book, Last of Their Kind, was released posthumously in April 2007. Okay, so they get four to eight years. So potentially... No, they're all dead. Damn it. I was like, no, they're gone. A baby one in 2006, no. 2016. We cannot find any more gurney pigs. They're, oh, is that a is that a thing? No, that's what I'm calling it now. I like it. That's, I yeah. really like it. I like pig, yeah. A gurney pig is there. Real. Might be next generation gurney pigs, but like we don't know. Fuck. All right. So to add to my Dune collection, Mike, I want to get a gurney pig. <laughs> a gurney pig. It's gonna <laughs> we be just to take care of rats for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It's gonna be very tangential, but I'll get a gurney pig for <laughs> like just for that sake to be so, like. Uh, yeah, this was kind of on a whim, but I think oh, uh, if I find is... any interesting gurneys that don't have a lot of quotes. Mike, give him a little bit of a bibliography right here. Uh, shine some a gurney info your way. Some gurney facts. That is, that's great. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we dug into that. That's but, uh, so I'm, fucking weird. We might, <laughs> that's the only thing I'm going to remember from today. Is how you told me about this, this weird Peter Gurney and his guinea pigs. And the, how the doctors kicked him out. And he said, they're stupid for not letting me bring oh. my pigs into the hospital. <laughs> but he definitely seems like a great guy. <laughs> A lot of smiles in his pictures. You know what? No, no. Nothing he did was malevolent. It was just odd. It's all I would characterize it as. Oh, I've got a list of books. By uh, Peter Gurney? Yeah. Sex Life of Guinea Pigs. Natural Remedy for Guinea Pigs. Proper Care of Guinea Pigs. What's my... What's my guinea pig? <laughs> and then Last of the Kind. Oh, what's my guinea pig? Gets real dark with Last of Their Kind. Super good. But uh, Peter Gurney, a toast to you. Thanks for giving us a laugh today. We really needed up. that. Unexpected, sir. <laughs> Unexpected. I think that's going to do it today. Yeah. Oh, gee. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa Jesus. Hold on, hold on. I'll catch him. Oh, oh, okay, buddy. <laughs> that's a rough flight in this day. <laughs> Where did uh, he come from? The doors are closed. I don't know. The window's not open either. But <laughs> what? Is he just hiding? We never checked the disc trans last week. <gasps> Uh, I gotta give him a little bit of water, Mike. Oh, uh, man. Okay, so Giovanni. He's just been knocking on the door the whole time. I don't live here. Oh, <laughs> your God. house. There's been something weird that's been happening. Oh, no. Oh, but, okay, Giovanni, he's got a couple messages here for us, okay, Mike. Okay, sure. We got, a, we got a full disc trans this week. And uh, let me put the little encoder decoder into him. Let's okay. see if we can get this out. 
Uh, I got okay. First, we got Jeremy M Ooh. sent us in a, a little email, and uh, this was in response. He's been listening up through the show and uh, went through. Uh, this would have been episode two, I think. We brought this up of a Harkonnens having a family crest. Uh, maybe even as far as episode six, we were still debating right. this. I, I think a couple of people have actually chimed in on that. Have it on like other yeah, platforms yeah, yeah. and stuff, and just being like, uh, so he sent us the little excerpt from the Dune Encyclopedia, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Uh, he has a digital copy thumb through. So we even, uh, I think, touched on that later on, that they do have like a ram as their symbol in there, because you, right. you were looking that up in the thing. Uh, so he sent us that uh, as well as the symbol they're going to use in the movie for the Harkonnens. Yeah. To be like, hey, they have a symbol. Just wanted to know if you guys didn't catch this before. So I just felt like uh, we did see the one in the encyclopedia. The movie was really cool for him to uh, cut it and send to us. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just that I, I would say the only reason I was telling you they didn't was like that being it's technically only in the encyclopedia. So like if we were going to really cut hairs or split hairs canon wise. We don't have one for the first Dune book is right. all. But, like, uh, the video game makes one up for him, and the encyclopedia gave him the ram. And I think Brian Herbert gives him a symbol, ultimately, too. Oh, does um, he? Is it a ram? No, it's not. It is something different from a ram. Uh, I used to remember it, but I can't for the life of me. In the Dude Moore game, was it a ram that the Harkonnens had as a symbol? No, Griffin. It was a griffin. It's a griffin. Right. That's what I think Brian changes right. it to. Okay. Um, I think I asked about it if it was a griffin, and you're like, no, no, no. Yeah, and I was confused. Yeah, because yeah, they show you that. Okay. Um, so, but thank you, Jeremy, for sending that in. Uh, you are dead right. Totally. Mm -hmm. I like the Ram even in the book. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had that talk about it being uh, almost like a bull-like. Yeah. Was it a bull? Yada, yada. Yeah, that there, whole there's a lot of cool things there. Then the second part of Jeremy's uh, message really gets oh. me like, has a little picture in there. Do you know what this picture is? It's the it's from the trailer. It's a still shot from the trailer of Paul Atreides touching what appears to be a little metal or stone engraving of a bull engorging El some Muerte! person. El Muerte was in the trailer. That's so perfect. So thank Actually, you for sending that in. We had someone else. Uh, you had one through, through uh, Instagram. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah a they message mentioned it as well. Yeah, on a, it was on Twitter because I, I posted a thing like, yo, there's no Piter, there's no Muerte, this trailer sucks. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But uh, Adrian Neville actually messaged me, and he was the first one to point out to me the little tombstone of oh, the yeah, old dude the same shot in yeah. the bowl. Yeah, the one yeah. you're talking about. And that made me giggle. And I was Ooh. super happy about yeah. that. And I was looking closer at that. There's uh, there's some text like on the engraving, and I can't tell what language that is. Old Galatian, yeah. right? Yeah, I that's hope a, so. That's the imperial language, right? Uh, oh, uh, no. Or is that encyclopedia Gallic. Only? Gallic is the language. Gallic. So it's sort of like Gaelic, oh, yeah. sort of like a play on Gaelic, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Galatian girls was the song. Uh, so it's turning it into like uh, an adjective for them. Oh, but that's awesome. I'm glad we had multiple people to chime yeah. in. Like, Guys, we love El Muerte. We need to like form a little coalition to make sure he is part of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets his screen time. <laughs> uh, so I got another one stuck in our little dispensary. Man, we got so much mail. There's, it looks like there's two in here. Uh, two more anyway. And this is from Ann F. And she sent us a little message on uh, the Byzantine corruption. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Kyle. because oh, we didn't really know what that was. You... We, we were speculating. Well, we had like an idea, but we, I did. We still said it as best we could. What, what'd she say? Well, uh, so she didn't hammer me down with anything, I think, more specific than what we got to. Because I was really like, is this two words combined in exact line? But mm. uh, I'll read you just straight from uh, her message here. Uh, what Herbert's referencing is the fact that increasing economic pressures made bureaucrats in the late Byzantine Empire increasingly corrupt, selling services for money and taking bribes. 
So I think that's going to be where we're chalking up to Kyle the Fremen of just like the like, ability to be like, everything's for sale. Everything's got a price, essentially. Eventually, you can be bought. Yeah, exactly. You can gotcha. get anything you want in the Byzantine Empire. Which I guess makes a lot of sense with the Fremen. like, they cannot be bought no matter what. Yeah, we know that for I like sure. That. Okay, gotcha. And uh, she also, uh, so Anne read this book, uh, and I hope it's okay to mention it. I don't want to teach you at all, but from like, she read it back in the 70s. So she is like OG Dune. Oh, started from the beginning. Hell yeah. All this through. Oh, yeah. This is before the second book was even written then. Yeah. Um, ooh, 69 was the second book. Oh, so okay. what I was think I thinking she, of then? I, I couldn't tell you. Oh, I was thinking of between the first and <laughs> like God getting Emperor. us to 84. Like the, the time span of Encyclopedia, what that would cover. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this is like, this is still 14 years before the Encyclopedia. That's awesome. That's though. so cool. And, but what I think is really uh, flattering for us is she says this is cueing her into aspects she never noticed before in the book. That is awesome. So like, imagine, so like, even I, like I've told you, I've read it multiple times. I always find something new. So like, that is a universal feeling. Anne read it when the book goddamn came out and she can still read this again and find something new in the book or like shade something a little bit differently and be get something else out of it. That is pretty amazing. I'm glad that we can like be the ones to sort of help guide the way there. Yeah, almost a little ashamed. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really up to it, but I, I will try. What are our credentials? <laughs> I mean, I don't have any. That's sort of my whole shtick, right? Mine looks like an empty bottle of irony right now. <laughs> empty bottle of irony. That's very Gertie Howling. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've got one more diss trans in my Looks like it's pretty short. We'll be able to bust this out. Oh, sure. Because uh, James T sent us a message, I think actually through Instagram. And uh, just want to say thanks. He really loved the show. He's looking forward to us again to book two. And you know what? We got you, bro. We're going to get there. And uh, he means book two, like, as in book two in this, not even uh, Doom Messiah. Yeah, no. Because he got up like, to chapter... we're working uh, on book two now. Yeah, we're yeah. doing it. He got up to chapter 22, so I, I think I think that's almost a promise at this point. We are going to do Messiah. Oh, I think no we're going to keep going until people stop listening. I got you locked into Or God. we run out of money to buy wine. No, ooh, ooh, shit. Yeah, that, that's true. That's, <laughs> that's really ourselves. true. I can stop some grapes. We got this. <laughs> we got, we're in it for the long haul. I got some Kool-Aid and vodka. We can make something happen. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I got you locked into God Emperor. And that is the only time I'm going to give you an out. Once, okay. once we finish that one, you can choose. Right. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah. But Giovanni's got nothing else. Let me open a window when we throw Giovanni out this time. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, oh, wait. Hang on a second. Sure. All right. All right. Okay. And here. Oh. 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 No, no. He hit that bird. Okay. He's good. He's good. <laughs> that doesn't uh, seem good. No, no. There are a lot of seagulls it's in this. It's daytime, Derek. Yeah. Uh, Mike, we record when we record. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's only so much we have. Good out. luck. <laughs> he made it here. That's true. We'll see him again. We'll see him again. All right, all right, all right. I think, I, oh, I think that pretty much uh, brings us to the end of the week, though, yeah, Mike. Yeah, sure. If you, guys, uh, if you guys got a question for us, if you're, you know, a wine, maybe we could afford. Just let us know. We're on Spice World Pod at Instagram and Twitter. We are also at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And there's also our website, SpiceWorldPod.com, where you can sort of uh, look at a little extras. You can see our Irulan quotes. I finally did the Irulan library. Oh, so the Irulan nice library is so nice. It's and actually the... more of a pain than I thought. I'm not I'm not really cut out for web dev. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> it's actually really stressful. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But you're doing so good, Mike. Thank so you. Good. Um, and you can also, as you've heard, you can join our little sketch over at Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. Dude, we just released our first Between Two Dooms exclusive. Yeah, we, yeah, we should uh, totally let you guys know. We have some special episodes we're going to release each month. And if you join our Patreon, 
Not only can you listen to those episodes, you can vote on them in the first week of the month and tell us what you want us to do at Between Two Dunes on. Yeah. Any, almost any uh, article in the encyclopedia is up for grabs. Uh, the only things I'm holding out on are things that are outside of the first book, Dune. Okay. Uh, the stuff okay. that goes into Doom Messiah and Children of Dune and God Emperor. Because right. they're not applicable to what we're talking about. But totally makes sense. There's probably more than half the book is up for grabs. Our uh, first one, though, was on the Ampoleros. The Ampoleros. Yeah, the Flying Dutchman of Space. That was a really fun episode to record. I liked that. And we did both the article, the real myth, the real captain it's based on. We had, we had a real fun time. Yeah, that uh, was good. So for everyone that is signed up already, I hope you've already checked that out. If you haven't, stop what you're doing. Go on to Patreon. Play that episode. It's great. <laughs> and yeah, I guess with that. You want to got... know what's happening next what's week, What's my Mike? little snippet? What's oh. my little appetizer, Derek? Ooh, it, it was a I'm tough a hungry one. boy. <laughs> hungry it's like a rum on my belly. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Oh, I want to wrap this up quick now. All right. So uh, this was a tough one for me to pull a quote out of, but I think I got a good one. Okay. Uh, it goes as such. The vortex began as an abrupt billowing that rattled the entire ship. Paul defied all fear to bank the thopter left. Jessica saw the maneuver on the attitude globe. Paul, she screamed. The vortex turned them, twisting, tipping. It lifted the thopter like a chip on a geyser, spewed them up and out. A winged speck with a core of winding dust lighted by the second moon. Oh! That's all I got. We're in the storm. We are in the storm. Oh, that's I, I, I didn't know if it was gonna like just slingshot us into to uh, another thopter coming yeah. out of the sky and it's no good. No, get in. Sure. He's got a sword in his back. Yeah, no, we are going exactly where we left. Oh them my off. god! So like, we're actually. I thought it was gonna like skip past it entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Frank does, but no, we're right in the chase still. So. Oh man, that's really good. And honestly, I kind of forgot that was going on. Uh, I really enjoyed a little Baron discussion. I forgot we, we left Paul and Jessica in a thopter cruising into the in storm. In a death storm. In a death storm. Didn't we repeat it like three times? Like, surely they're dead. Surely. <laughs> well, one guy did. Yeah. One guy really hit that home. Oh, my God. Uh, but I think uh, we'll have to let the suspense just kind of hang there, Mike. And until then, the, the spice, spice must flow. This outro song is called Scorched by Gurney Hall and SoundCloud. You can find a link to the song on our social media. I remember salt smoke from a beach fire and shadows under the pines, solid, clean. Seagulls perched at the tip of land, wide upon green, and a wind comes through the pines to sway the shadows. Spread their wings, lift and fill the sky, and I hear the wind blowing.